The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Welcome to the Doctor Who pod. I am Sai, and with me as always is Dan, and it's guest day, Dan, isn't it? It's guest day. Do you want to introduce who we've got along with us? Not particularly, because I'm fucking furious with him. Okay. He, uh, he picked the only Christopher Eccleston two-part, and the only modern Who, apart from Blink, to absolutely scare the living shit out of me. Somehow. <laughs> um, <laughs> Now nah, fuck it. I've just sent him a picture of the Loch Ness monster with tits. It's Marty. How are you, mate? <laughs> Hello. I'm. I'm good. I'm good. I. Uh, yeah. I'm. I'm very honoured to be on here. This is. You know. I listen to this every week. It's one oh, of the few you. things that every week I wait for it to to drop, and I listen to it as soon as I can. So I'm very uh, surreal. Very exciting to be on here with you guys. Oh, that's really nice to see you, mate. Thank you so much. And Cheers. Bull, bullshit that. aside, happy to have you, mate, and really glad that um, that you do listen to the show and that uh, that I've somehow I somehow sparked off a uh, a Torchwood revival in your life. Yeah, well, well, I mean, that I didn't watch Doctor Who for a few years, not just not for any reason. Just I went, you know, had kids and whatnot, and just didn't really watch too much of it. And I'm not really, I wasn't really into the Jodie Whittaker stuff. Um, I was a bit put off by the first series. Um, and then listening to your show uh, got me re-watching old episodes again. I've watched, re-watched all of the Capaldi ones and other stuff. So it's um, and a lot of the classic Who along with you guys. So uh, so yeah, you kind of revitalised my. And I did actually say to Sai when I picked this one, I said I kind of want to pick this one, but I know Dan has mentioned he doesn't like it, and so I was like, fuck him. So <laughs> there we are. <laughs> that is actually pretty much how the conversation went, wasn't it? <laughs> I would expect nothing less. And to be fair, it's it's it is it is a really really good and sort of integral um, story into the the early days of uh, of New Who. So it's uh, it, it's good to get it out of the way early and, and yeah. to, to, to share the fear with friends. <laughs> yes, and what we are looking at today, selected by uh, Morty here, is The Empty Child. Well, it's a two-parter, isn't it? It's The Empty Child and then The Doctor Dances, uh, originally broadcast in May of 2005. Uh, first series of New Who. So we have Christopher Eccleston as the Doctor and Rose Tyler is the companion. Now, first of all, I suppose, Morty, why this one? Um. So... Although I think it's changed recently, I would say that Chris Freckleston is my doctor because he was my first my first experience with it. Um, I have watched the Doctor Who movie before that, but I don't think I realised what that was at the time. I was quite okay, young. It's a beautiful film. Um, yeah, and I and I've rewatched <laughs> it since, and I love it. But I don't. I 
I know that I'd seen it and I'd seen Daleks, you know, in like shopping centers and things. But my first real, oh, real ones, <laughs> yeah, yeah, terrifying. Just, just like, Daleks in shopping centers, <laughs> <laughs> terrifying. Down I, don't know why you're la- I don't know why you're laughing, sir. You saw Cyberman in a comic book shop, <laughs> yeah, and I was terrified. I was absolutely yeah. terrified. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. <laughs> um, so yeah, he was kind of my doctor, and I, I, I remembered, although I haven't watched this for many years, I remembered this being one of my favorite. I know it's two part, but one of my favorite stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I nearly selected the first ever episode just out of sort of the uh, nostalgia thing and, and the fact that it was the first one and really what because it was what got me into it. Um, so uh, I'm to I don't want to keep you guys too long on it, but um, so my, my stepdad was a big Who fan, okay, um, from the original ones. You know, he watched it from episode one live on TV, and he followed it all the way through until its uh, until its death. So when they announced that it was being revived, he was very very excited about it. Um, and I was a stroppy young lad, and he was telling me all about it. And I remember we were supposed to be going to a uh, to the pub that Mum worked at, and he refused to go until Doctor Who had been on. And he sat down. He had this horrible old manky. A footstool that he built himself it was full of dust and he put it in between his legs and he was doing the dum dum he was like a, he was this big <laughs> bald grumpy looking guy and his face was just full of smiles he turned into a child you know he used to be oh, a drummer wow. when he was younger so he's giving it rock all and we watched it together and he was pissing himself laughing at you know i don't know if you remember it when uh when mickey gets swallowed up by a bin and it burps yeah <laughs> And there's yeah. like it's like a plastic hand, and he's fighting with it, and he was pissing himself laughing, and because um, you know for him Doctor Who always was a bit a bit silly and a bit camp yeah. and and stuff like that, and we uh, it's one of the first things that we really bonded over, and that became our thing every single week. Um, I remember the following week I would go in the mornings to um, a town about half an hour from me on the bus, and I went into Virgin Megastores. And I found some DVDs of William Hartnell and I brought them back and we watched them together. And he would show me old VHS tapes of Tom Baker. And uh, and we would watch this every single week. And it's uh, I'm getting a little bit emotional because he's not with us anymore. And it was one of the things that we really oh, okay. bonded over as a child. Um, and it was, uh, it was, yeah, a big... So Doctor Who's got a big part of my relationship with my stepdad. So it's got a big... Uh, and Christopher Eccleston because of that. So that's why I really... Yeah. That's oh, fantastic. Man. No, that's amazing. That's awesome. And it is it, it is incredible, isn't it? How we've said it before on the show, um when we have our, our more serious moments in between talking about I don't know, Nazis and quarries and Loch Ness monster boobs and all sorts yep. of nonsense. That um <laughs> twat. Yeah. <laughs> that uh it's it's crazy how this this TV program that's it, it spans generations and it's it means so much to so many different people from so many different places. I mean, I sat down, uh, as I mentioned to you guys over messenger before, before we start to record today, I watched this back about an hour ago uh, for the second time for the recording. So I actually watched it two or three days ago as well, but I watched it back again in its entirety because my youngest daughter, Charlie, who, who is 12 uh, said she wanted to watch it with me. And that was amazing. And we both sat and watched it together upstairs in my room because, you know, the wife's busy downstairs, potting around doing, doing, her, doing her work and whatnot. I don't disturb her. And, it's, and to me now, she's there saying, oh, what can we watch next? Is there a, what, what episode's next? And what can we do this? And, and that means a huge amount to me because this, you know, Doctor Who is one of my favorite programs of all time. Obviously, I talk about it on this show every week. But 
me and Charlie, I mean, she's my daughter. I love her and I know she loves me back. We haven't got anything major that we kind of bond over other than the fact that she is my little princess. So the fact that we, well, wrestling aside, of course. So mm. the fact that we've got someone outside of wrestling now potentially to sit and watch, or I can at least show her it. Oh, I'm loving it now. My head's going like a million miles an hour. thinking, what episode next? What should I do next? You know, it's that kind of situation. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how this, this story about uh, uh, basically a, a shape-shifting 900-year-old alien <laughs> in a blue box uh, <laughs> can, can affect. As you said, Morty, your, your relationship with your stepfather and, and my daughter and I, and so it's just absolutely fantastic isn't it yeah and and you know you're you're in that the other side of it you're on the on that side now like my stepdad was of being able to share that from that side and she's going to remember it from my side really mm. um and it's it's really cool and to say you know we, we were very close um and that was one of the things that made us very close uh you know he, even my mum had already been together for a good sort of seven years or so before that but we'd never really bonded over anything we were bonded over 60s and 70s rock music and uh yeah he loved Def Leppard and Led Zeppelin and all that kind of stuff okay um and uh and Thin Lizzy and all that and we we uh bonded over Doctor Who and it was our as I say it was our thing if, if mum had plans for us on a Saturday night she had to wait until you know Doctor Who had finished <laughs> that, that sounds very similar that sounds very similar to my house um <laughs> to this to this day me and my dad and 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 my brother actually as well for the for the original run we would we would watch Doctor Who together. You know my brother's a little bit younger than me, so I was sixteen at this point. He was thirteen, so I think he maybe wanted to be more off with his mates and whatnot, which fair enough. Yeah, but yeah, to this day we me and my dad make time to to watch Doctor Who. That's oh, it, it was it was a Chris, it was it was always a Christmas tradition until they stopped doing the fucking Christmas specials. Yeah, yeah. Even though a lot of them were even though a lot of them were shit. Yeah. <laughs> The weird thing is for the Christmas specials, though, now you mentioned them, Christmas Doctor Who was a big thing for me. I was like, you know, Christmas Doctor Who, got to make sure it's you know recorded and all this sort of stuff. But because I was doing stuff for the family and I go see my mum and dad and whatnot, I wouldn't actually watch it. I'd record it and watch it like days later. So even though I was like, you know, proper, you know, my, my mindset was always all Christmas Doctor Who, it was more like, I don't know, the 29th Doctor Who or something. It wasn't actually Christmas Doctor Who anymore to me, you know? Bridging yeah. the gap, Doctor Who, between Christmas, between being drunk at Christmas and being drunk at New Year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so then, uh, this here, this story here, I think is potentially my, uh, probably one of, probably my favourite from the Christopher Eccleston era. It's the whenever somebody says to me Christopher Eccleston as the Doctor, this is what I remember first, anyway above anything else mm. uh, i suppose the last story when he when he regenerates and the regeneration scene and so on i got special memories of that because it was the first one in new who and i'm sat there watching it and and so on so it felt so special when i when, when that scene happened but that aside this is really to me really iconic for eccleston's run and i think a huge part of that is simply because of the kid going around saying are you my mummy that is how it, how simple <laughs> but creepy is that, Dan? Dan is shivering already. And that, it, it did send a shiver up my back. Um, it, it's weird. I'm kind of I'm, I'm kind of desensitized, desensitized to a point with it all. But this genuinely made me fear gas masks. That creepy kid appearing at the window and shit like that, just for some reason lodged in my brain and would not let go. And I, I love horror movies. I've been to like live scare attractions and all of that. And I get a kick out of them. A lot of them make me laugh. You know, I'll jump and then I'll laugh and like, oh, that wasn't that a great time. 
one of the very few times I've been like, okay, I'm stopping for a minute, Jesus Christ, let my heart settle down, was I was at this one, it was like military themed, and there was this great long corridor full of smoke, and I could see a figure of somebody at the end. And I thought either that's one of the actors or I'm about to have the shit scared out of me. And there was strobe lights going, it's full of smoke, and my eyes aren't good with strobe lights. So one minute the actor's down there, the next they're sort of halfway towards me as we're sort of edging forward. And then the next, I'm, I'm like six foot, six foot one. The, the woman in this gas mask I later on found out was about five foot. <laughs> but I'm like like looking around trying to find, and she's like right there. And I look down, it's a fucking gas mask. And my fist was cocked. <laughs> just in abject terror. Like just, and I, <laughs> I won't replicate the uh, the noise that came out of my mouth, but let's just say, <laughs> let's just say it was, it was not manly. <laughs> 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 and then it, was, then it was just a string of expletives, the likes of which I've never uttered. <laughs> so I came out and I knew the guys that, that were running the attraction and said, Oh, what's that then? I said, Fucking gas masks. <laughs> it had to be fucking gas masks. <laughs> so when you say it's one of the most memorable uh, stories of the Eccleston run, yes. It scarred you. But, yeah. Yeah, tra- in, in more, of a, more of a traumatic way. <laughs> Yeah, there, there no, was there was, a, there was a lot on it though that I didn't remember. There okay. was a lot of ele- elements to it, whether it's small or big. But there was a lot of elements to it because it's been so long since I watched it that I didn't remember. But I'm sure you know we'll we'll, we'll get there, won't we? When we uh, we go through. See, I think I'm kind of the opposite. There was so much of this that I did remember, which is you know Dan will tell you. And more, you said yourself, you, you listen most weeks. You know, yeah, that is, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not very often that happens. So it's you know, but. I think, I suppose it's the same as when I first got the WWE Network. I didn't watch something new. I went back and seeked out my favorite matches, mm. my favorite events. So it was similar when, you know, Doctor Who and the iPlayer and all, all the on-demand stuff and, and so on. I think it was on Netflix for a while as well, wasn't it? Potentially. Uh, might have been. Not the sure. first thing I did yeah. was go back and watch this because this is what I remembered. Uh, and so a lot of it was really sort of vivid in my mind still really sort of, you know, which probably explains why my notes are so sparse because I'm in my head. I'm thinking, I remember all this, you know, so. <laughs> I, I can't wait to get five minutes into this and go, wait, where are we now? What happened? Oh yeah. That, that happens all the time. So yeah. <laughs> so so I, mean, I, I, don't, <laughs> I, I don't think people realize when they listen to this, that it's not actually that easy what you guys do because you'll make, especially the amount of notes that you guys make. It's not like, because I know you two have short attention spans like I do, right? Yeah. Shining in the corner. Oh, look at that. And to, to pay attention to what's happening and write it down, I had to keep pausing things. I, spoilers, I made hardly any notes, pretty much no notes on the second episode at all, because I was just into it. Yeah. <laughs> just bullet point. Um, but when I was trying to actually make notes on it, I thought, ah, Dan will have it all transcribed anyway. Forget it. Yeah, that's, like, that's kind of what I think every week. <laughs> I, I have... 5,309 words. <laughs> I'm really glad. I mean, mine says 182, so we're good to and go. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I wonder why my hands hurt. That's, <laughs> that's reasons, mate. That's a different oh, reason. Yeah, yeah that's that's can't, those can't, can't reach the bastard. <laughs> uh, so, episode one, then, of this, The Empty Child, it begins with a bang, doesn't it? We're, we're in the TARDIS, and we're... We're chasing a piece of space junk, which we're just, which is apparently mauve, which is the uh, the color of danger. We're so we're told. 
See, I, I love this because this episode plays perfectly into my accent. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's it's more than dangerous. Only humans <laughs> use red everywhere else. Red is red's camp. <laughs> all those red alerts, all that dancing. But I mean, it these episodes I, I enjoy, especially I, I'm going to keep bringing this up as well because it's literally just happened. But I'm sat watching with Charlie. If I'd have put this on for her and we had a slow open or a slow build or a, a lot of talking in the first 10 minutes, setting the scene, or as some episodes can be, especially more so with, with Classic Hill, I guess, I'd have lost her. She'd have made excuses and mm. buggered off back to her bedroom, got her, got her phone out, started texting her mates or whatever. The fact that I think this starts the way it does acts as a, acted as a massive hook for Charlie to, to, to grasp her attention straight away. Do, do you know what mm. I mean? No, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it, it's straight in. There's things going off, there's explosions, there's obviously something incredibly urgent. It's got you there. You need mm. to know what's going to happen. You need to at least watch the next 10 minutes to... To find out, yeah. Sorry, uh, like, I, I talked across you there. No, no, no. You could. I, I um. It's your show, man. Um. I uh. <laughs> I I wrote I wrote down shit. A lot happened in forty seconds because it was forty seconds. I yeah. even went back and checked. It was forty seconds. The dialogue was so quick. They gave you all the information you needed. You knew what was happening. Something's going down to earth. It's dangerous. Things are exploding. They're going. Uh, there was some sort of ex- exchange around. You know, is it safe? Absolutely, or something, wasn't it? And then something exploded. And he went. Probably, I should have said probably there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love those little, those little. One of the reasons I love Chris Ferguson's version. Um, yeah, with the humour is very similar to. It's such a shame he only got one. He only did one season because he was afraid of being typecast. Yeah, it is. It is a real shame. And the thing is, as well, I mean, he's been in so many different things. He's an incredibly talented actor, but he was afraid of being typecast. To me, he is the Doctor. The so thing is, he still gets asked about Doctor Who every single yeah. uh, interview that he does, you know. <laughs> because he underestimated how he underestimated us tragic nerds and how much we're clean to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, after we get the, uh, the the intro and the music and so on, there is a complete mood change, however, isn't there? Because it's it's gone from being frantic and noisy and lots of lights and all sorts to the TARDIS materialising, and we're in basically a back alley i guess and it's dark and straight away i mean i, I say we, we we kick off quickly the the main i suppose face of the i suppose villain's not the right word but you know what i'm getting at the gas masked child the the empty child we see that individual very very early as well and the mood has changed from that frantic opening scene to just being eerie straight away eerie and creepy and okay what's going on here and the doctor is explaining that they probably might they might have missed it by a month they might be like a month late to where this this thing has landed in london b- because it was jumping through time streams and so on and then rose wanders off <sighs> fuck's sake rose not a fan of that on this show mate <laughs> are we <laughs> not, a fan, not a fan of the wandering off no that's what i said no. last week um i mean the thing is they have a bit of time to you know to crack a joke about the come back to earth every five days for milk um, yeah. <laughs> of all the species in the universe and it has to come out of a cow um, <laughs> but was it it was a little it's a little way on from this when the doctor finally realises that Rose has walked off when he's running back to try and find her and he just gets distracted by a cat which mm. fair if you know, catch me on yeah. he just starts wondering that maybe one day he'll meet someone who won't wander off 900 years of phone box travel and it's the only thing left to surprise me yeah, <laughs> and it, it hadn't. The cat didn't have anything to do with anything. It was just so he could do that. Yeah, 
Yeah. Brilliant. I wonder yeah, who that was. To to. Who knows? You know, whether that was like somebody on the sets, Cat or something. Might have evolved later in life to be Adler Hamlin's character when they visited New Earth. Oh, yeah. Long time storytelling. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll just a fight like AEW fans. <laughs> we kind of get, I suppose, two. Uh, not separate stories, obviously, but two sort of different, uh, diff- different threads going on here, don't we? Because Rose has wandered off, ends up trying to, I suppose, rescue what she thinks is a child lost on top of a building. She should have just left the kid alone. Should have, should have. Just leave it alone. Run away. It's his own fault. It's up there. <laughs> um, so I'm amazed. Before I get too far into the uh, into the gas mask twat. Um, uh-huh. I'm surprised you skipped over the use of the psychic paper. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Your favourite bit. I love the psychic paper. It's fantastic. John, I love it John, so much. John, John Smith, Ministry of Asteroids. Yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's so good. They I, also I actually, mentioned, oh, sorry, go on. I was just they also they brought up her T-shirt quite quickly, which obviously they bring up again later on, but they bring up her, in fact, she's wearing a Union Jack T-shirt. And they say, it, much like the first 40 seconds, there's so much dialogue, you can't yeah. even really keep up like the little joke with the milk and everything it, it's, and it's very quick moving the scanning for alien tech and saying it's not very spock and yeah and all the rest of it the, the, it does to say they're just walking down the street they keep it moving and, and just drop all these little hints in your brain that will come back later mm. yeah yeah definitely and with regards to the psychic paper that is a moment where i did pause it and i turned around to charlie and said do you know what that is <laughs> And then went on this whole different dialogue about what the psychic paper is and how it works and all that sort of stuff. So, but where yeah. does it come from? I just, it just because one day because psychic, psychic trees, psychic trees. Because <laughs> I always assumed it was Time Lord technology, but later on, someone else has some as well. Mm. So, where does it come from? Who designed it? It's the same piece of psychic paper. The Doctor gives Rose's psychic paper. Oh, no, it's not sorry, no, it's Jack's, no, isn't it's it? Jack's got it's his Jack. own, Jack's Jack's got got his own own, yeah. Jack's already had it, I thought. Yeah, Jack had it, Jack, Jack oh, produced well, it, doesn't he? To be fair, knowing Jack, he probably seduced a, either a past or future version of the Doctor. I was going to say, the Doctor could have given it to Most likely did, um, at some point <laughs> in the time stream. Um, well, come on, it's Jack, why wouldn't you? Now that we've got the whole flux thing and uh, that has happened and we've got the, you know, the timeless child, entirely possible, 51st century... Jack's already off here with time travel. Why wouldn't he have psychic paper? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, makes sense. See, what, this is how quickly I can reel off that bullshit. <laughs> yeah. It does. It just, it just goes <laughs> like that. It's, uh... Seeing it live is amazing. <laughs> you can hear the rusty cogs going and everything. Coming out, yeah. <laughs> I've got a nosebleed like an 11 out of Stranger Things. <laughs> I've not seen that. Um, <laughs> and we're back to normality after the last episode. <laughs> That surprises me, though, because you've said that before, and it, I, I thought it would have been your kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, it's it's difficult with any TV program that like that, like you might refer to it as like a box set or something. It's got you know a substantial amount of episodes and series to it. Mm. Because if I want to watch it and the wife is also interested, finding the time for us both to sit down and watch it is incredibly difficult. Now, right. if I want to watch it and she's not interested, that's fine. I'll chuck it on whenever you know, um, and vice versa. But yeah, if it's something we're both interested in, it basically goes unwatched for years. I've had season one of um, uh, Blacklist downstairs on DVD for about three years. 
and it's not even coming out of the cellophane yet. But we both just keep going, oh, I'll get around to it at some point. It's not like season nine now or something. I don't know. <laughs> so, so very much looking forward to watching the first season of 24. Yeah. <laughs> now, nah, 24, I did watch. It nearly cost me a job, 24. You know, like the, the cliffhangers at the end of the episodes? It's all, ah, oh, watch one more, watch one more. Before, uh, it's four <laughs> o'clock in the morning. Uh, <laughs> I've never seen it. Ah, uh, it's good. It's very good. Never really seen it. it. It's, it's well worth watching. Well worth But we have, seen, we have seen the Doctor stumble into a, uh, a, like a lounge bar where there's a singer singing. Now, I'll come back to it, but keep the singer in mind. Okay. Because I've discovered something really weird about a large portion of the cast of this episode. But I don't want to do I don't want to mention it just yet. But keep the okay. singer in mind. Interesting. Okay. No worries. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, as I was saying, we, we kinda of got the two separate threads, I suppose, because Rose she goes after the child but ends up hanging on a rope from an air balloon as you do. She you looks do. up as well. She yeah. looks up and doesn't see doesn't see what it's attached to and just thinks, that'll do. Yeah, for yeah, somebody's been very trusting, obviously. <laughs> you know, very, oh, a bit of rope, tidy. I'm climbing this. You know, so, <laughs> uh, and whereas the doctor, of course, as you said, Dan is is in this um, this this I suppose bar, maybe. Yeah, effectively, it's like isn't a lounge. It? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he's asking this. This tickled me. He's asking, has anything fallen from the sky recently? Of course, everyone starts laughing at him because of the blitz and the bombings of 1941 <laughs> and so on. I thought that was quite a nice little touch. He stands up on the stage like a stand-up comedian as well, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's when they cut back to him and he's saying, no, I'm being serious. Why, why are you laughing? And he just doesn't understand. And then he sees the poster, the propaganda poster on the wall mm. and the air raids, the air raid warnings. And he's just that look of, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although he's, you know, he's in a better position than Rose because she, she's hanging from a barrage balloon wearing a Union Jack t-shirt. See, like, there's, there's a couple of bits in this. I, I love this story, and it, um, it's not going to be a spoiler or anything like that because obviously at the end we try, we try and summarise our thoughts in, in previous episodes. Here it's going to be very clear before we get to the end what I think of this. I love this story. I love this two-parter. It's fantastic. There's a couple of moments in it I'm not too keen on, however. One will come to quite near the end, and this here. Rose hanging from the rope whilst all those bombs are going off, planes are flying at her. I don't reckon she holds on that long, really. Come on, you know. I know it's done for the sake of the story. Are you judging other people by your relative strength? Yeah, (laughs) I did the exact same thing. I've, I'm, I made a, I made a note of how the hell is she hold on, held on yeah. for that for longer than two minutes. Right. I get adrenaline, <laughs> and because you're thinking, oh, I'm going to die if I fall. But the fact that she spends, I, I tell you, this is so stupid as well. But it's just how my mind works. The fact that she's literally holding onto the rope with her hands, and that's it the whole time. Why doesn't she wrap it around her arm? Why doesn't she do something with it other than just cling to it with her hands? That might it doesn't make any sense. Unlike unlike us three, she's not a. Uh... She's not a pudgy, either middle-aged or bordering on middle-aged man who've got like joints held together with tissue paper in dreams. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. <laughs> She's meant to be nineteen uh, years old. Yeah, well, even at nineteen, I couldn't do that. Well, that's because you—that's because you discovered beer by that point. Well, that is true. Yeah, that is, I, no, I was—I was, I was quite trim when I was nineteen, mate. I was still playing football and stuff. I was in much better physical condition than I'm in now. Put it that way. I was very much a, I would, to be. I was very much the uh, the full metal jacket line. I didn't know they stacked shit that high. Fair enough. 
Well, he's keeping uh, suspiciously quiet. I, so, I, I'm, I've always been a mess of a human. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> like, uh, even when I was in good physical condition, um, I wouldn't. I, I mean, I, I would have been able to hold that rope until it started going up, and then I would have let go instantly. Yeah, I think I think for the five seconds I could have held on, the balloon would have dropped about five feet. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, second the piss out of ourselves aside. Yes, we then get, uh, I suppose, our first uh, our, our first sighting or meeting of, of Captain Jack Harkness, don't we? Was it there? Whilst Ro- Rose was hanging from the balloon. Yeah, little, but not before we've seen the uh, the first bit of ah, creepiness with the, yes, uh, the TARDIS well, phone ringing. Yeah. And I did love Christopher Eccleston just looking at me. How can you be ringing? What's that about ringing? What am I supposed to do with a ringing phone? <laughs> but well, this is, again, the timing of that. The timing of that was really good as well, wasn't it? Because this is as he's got hold of the cat. And, and as you know, as we were saying momentarily ago, it, he's saying, oh, people wandering off. Nothing would, no, that would be the last thing to surprise him if, if he met someone who, you know, didn't wander off. Then the phone rings and instantly that is surprising to him, which I thought was quite a clever little touch because he's literally just said nothing surprises him and then the phone rings. But then, of course, he goes to answer it. And before he does... Uh, a, 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 well, a young girl basically says to him, don't do it, doesn't she? Yeah, we've got a first sighting of Nancy. And the doctor flies in the face of the advice and answers the phone anyway. And we get the repeated creepy, mummy, mm. and phone down, TARDIS off, by Rose. <laughs> <laughs> I'll phone me a balloon and your rope, love. I'm gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean Nancy here. I mean, obviously, again, we got different scenes in different orders, and and obviously Rose is away doing her thing, the Doctor's doing something. But thinking about Nancy here, she's there saying, "Don't answer the phone." The Doctor carries on talking and so on. It turns around and she's gone. Now we know, mm. having watched this before and having you know watched it through again now for this take of this take of this podcast, that she's not bad news. But that again, I'm sat watching it through Charlie's eyes for the first time. That even added i think added to the creepiness a little to bit the mystery as well yeah, yeah exactly you don't you don't know exactly who this this girl is or what's going on do you mm. no and I, i'll be honest i am waiting with bated breath for you to tell me that 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 your youngest is is, is braver than me watching the, watching these episodes <laughs> and that she wasn't phased in the slightest by the kid um she said initially when i asked her what she thought she said it was weird hmm and I was like, is that a bad thing? And she said, no, I enjoyed it, but it was just weird. She said it was creepy at times, but the worst part was when the face changes into the gas mask. But Thank you. Not the visual. She said it was the noise that it was making. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty, pretty brutal, isn't it? Well, I know we'll get to that, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she said that was the biggest issue for her. But I mean, as we go through, if anything pops in my head that she said as we were watching, I'll, I'll mention it live. But yeah, um, following Nancy for a moment then, she disappears, but she hasn't just vanished into thin air, obviously. She's gone off with a purpose and she, we find out, almost acts as, as almost like a, a mother to all the, the stray homeless children left in London. <laughs> stray you know? children. Stray children. Yeah, they are. They are what they are. That's what they are, they <laughs> Strays, you know, Home, homeless and abandoned. I think he's more <laughs> stray than kids. <laughs> stray kids, right? Seeing all, the, seeing all those stray toddlers out there, there's a bloody pack of them. <laughs> Can, Council want to get on that. 
<laughs> oh man yeah straight kids then um <laughs> well, what i did like about this bit is we see um uh, we see the family going into the shelter in the garden mm. and yes. the one thing the blokes the blokes angry about is always during tea time he's just giving it just talking shit to this guy he's like don't you eat <laughs> <laughs> And some world-class acting from Heather from EastEnders. Yeah. She was I, I, EastEnders, wasn't she? Her voice. I didn't recognise oh, her, but God. I recognised her voice. So I had to look it up, and I was like, oh, it was definitely her then, yeah. Did a war on. God, she's yeah. awful. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> and also, God, that, that shelter. I don't know if that was a, that was dug out and it was leading to something. But if it, it was, wasn't. yeah, yeah. It was. I would hope so. Yeah, because what they were getting into... In a little sh- like vegetable yeah. shed. I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, that was just a shed made out of corrugated metal. My, my dad had one of those and it fell down. You know? <laughs> well, yeah, because I think they were called Anderson shelters. Oh, yes. Named, named okay. after the person that invented them. So the, the, the idea was to go in there to, to hide from the air raid. But it was, from what I remember, because it's a long time since I did GCSE history, um, I just remember looking at the dagger and thinking, how is that going to protect anybody? And it was basically just so that if your house got bombed, you still had a bit of food and a roof over your head. <laughs> right. Okay. I see. <laughs> uh, Nancy enters the house after the family ran off to, to their little metal hut. And um, <laughs> she, she's ransacking the place, effectively. And she's looking for food. She's picking up a half-finished cake and going through the cupboards and all sorts. And then she sees this quite elaborate spread especially for wartime on the table because as you mentioned dan they were literally about to sit down and have dinner weren't they and there, there's yeah. a big portion of meat and all sorts on, on the table looks like a good like, joint as well oh yeah yeah it's mm. fair old size some good crackling on that and uh a few whistles later she is joined by shall we say all the strays as they enter the- <laughs> a gaggle of stray children a gaggle of stray children that's the plural is it for stray kids a gaggle <laughs> an, in- an inconvenience of stray children that works that works uh, and what I loved about this is first of all that, that sort of creepiness that was added to Nancy initially has already disappeared Yeah, because she's whistling and bringing the kids in but then sitting them down passing the meat out saying one slice each and so on and then somebody says something and she's like oh you're on washing up and they all laugh you know and and the new kid there as well yeah i thought this was really touching it's really and i think and it's difficult for me to, for me to verbalize but i think in some way it helps because they don't sound you know massively educated the, the accent and the time and, and their ages i suppose work against them in that aspect and I think that adds to the charm, if that makes sense. It feels genuine. That's that's what it, it, it does yeah. feel genuine. But this scene that we're talking about now is where I've, I found out something very odd. Because as as you know, anybody who's listened to the show for a long time, I like to go through the cast and see who's been Doctor Who before. Hmm. So we'll go back to the singer from before that I mentioned. Her okay. name is Katie Harvey, and this is her only acting credit, which. In itself, isn't that weird? You know, maybe she's a singer by trade, just never did anything else on TV. That's fine. But then you get into the the sort of the, the younger cast in the show. And this is where I feel like this two-parter is possibly somewhat cursed. Because Albert Valentine, who played Jamie the Child in The Gas Mask, this he only this was his first acting credit and only had one more after this. 
Right, Florence, okay. Florence Hurth, who plays Nancy, had three more credits after this. I looked Jordan, into... Sorry, Jordan I Murphy. Into her, yeah. <laughs> I looked her up as well, yeah. Mm. Jordan Murphy, who plays Ernie, who gets put on washing up duty for speculating the meats off the black market, <laughs> had one had one credit after this. Another kid, uh, Brandon Miller, who played Alf, one of the other kids, this was his last credit of four. Noah Johnson, who voiced the child, only had two credits after this. Luke, uh, there's a, uh, Luke Perry, not that one, who plays Timothy Lloyd in part two, had only had four more credits after this, but one of them was playing a character called David Davis in Tortured Children of Earth. And Martin Hodgson, who plays Jenkins in part two, this was the last of five credits for him. This two-parter oh, wow. killed careers before it even started. Before they even started. Why? <laughs> you, you know, like, like, so I looked up Nancy as well, and she—that's the one that surprised me because, yeah, spoilers yeah. for some of the rest of it. I thought she was brilliant, a really good character, yeah. but I thought she played her really well. And she was very, very realistic, like you said, very um, realistic—the way that she played it, very down to earth, and just. Um, very endearing. I just thought she couldn't have played that character any better. And I thought yeah. anyone watching her, you'd think that, you know, she's going to go on to big things, you know. So that, that one, one surprised me a little bit. Yeah. Charlie actually said, is Nancy in any more? Mm. Yeah. Because she liked her so much. You know, that, that was, I think that was one of her favorite, her favorite character, I think, on the, on what we saw. So and yeah, I, I do well, wonder if, I do wonder if Chris Eccleston has stayed on, whether we would have revisited Nancy at some point, you know, down the line. Maybe you know, maybe you get a future version of Nancy when you know Jamie's a little bit older, and uh, you know you get Nancy maybe gets to help another adventure or go off on and have one of her own. Hmm. And you, you speak about being cursed and so on. With regards to the 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 the, the lady who played Nancy, her next role was going to be a a soap opera. I think it was Family Affairs or Family Matters or something like that. I think it's on Channel Five, hmm. and she got cast in the role. And a, you know, a, a a daytime TV soap opera. It's a yeah, pretty Family Affairs, Channel Five. I remember it well. Yeah, there you go. There you go. He's got the box set at home. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she was cast in it, and then the show was cancelled before she could appear. So, wow. how that's another sort of aspect to that idea, isn't it? I guess. I was I was saying it half jokingly, but yeah, that's uh, that's a bit bizarre. But uh, yeah, Nancy is is the standout performer we've talked before about how, you know, sort of na- named actors or comedians like, um, uh, why did I say named actors and comedians? I forget the fuck his name. It was, um, it was the mechanic in that Capaldi episode. Oh, Frank Skinner. Frank Skinner, you know, maximized his minutes in that. Nancy does exactly the same thing here. Mm. Or Lee Mack in, uh, um, in Kablam. Yeah. They're yeah. very, so she played very well, but it's a very well, well written character, such a strong character. With lots of you know, in the two episodes you get to see a lot of her. But to be honest, I mean, as much as I enjoyed that character, I think this story completed her arc. I don't think she needed yeah. to. Yeah. To rock up I suppose, again, it, really. I suppose it run, runs the risk of diminishing getting a bit, a bit. Yeah, like when they brought James Corden back. Yeah, but once was too many, wasn't it? Yeah, it yeah. was. Yeah. I was oh, literally talking. I was literally talking to Sharon today because an advert came on the TV for uh, that game, not game show, that, that sort of panel show that he was on. And I was like, oh, I can watch that now because Corden's not on it. I can't stand that bloke. <laughs> Have you got any uh, any description of him, Marty, that you want to reel off? Just uh... 
<laughs> not, not that you can air on here. I've already dropped the F-bomb on here. I don't want to get any, get any worse. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck it. It's fine. Just don't say. Oh, I forgot then. Oh, like... <laughs> well, then I definitely can't, can I? Oh, and we find the first... And we find the first moment I'm cutting eight. Um, <laughs> uh, Rose, <laughs> getting back to Rose, back to Captain hanging, Jack. Yes, getting is she's hanging from the uh, balloon, and Captain Jack is he's in like an officer's mess, I guess, is or a soldier's bar somewhere, you know, some sort of area. And he <laughs> this crap me up. He zooms in with his uh, binoculars, doesn't he, on her arse. You know, I mean, as you would, don't get me wrong, but... Just proving that no matter how much technology advances, no matter what amazing things it can do, bullocks always resort to perving. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We're fucking um, animals. Yeah. <laughs> we, we end up, though, with Jack... He basically rescues her, doesn't he? Because at some stage, she does eventually, her arms give in, you know, the, the whole nonsense... After about two hours. Yeah, the whole daft hanging from the bloody balloon on the rope situation. Uh, her arms give in and she does fall. And Jack catches her with a tractor beam, which I thought looked, you know, considering this is, what, seven, 17 years old? 17 this? years now, yeah. yeah. I thought that looked quite good. Yeah, and we, we've talked before how some of the sort of CGI effects on particularly this era have aged less well than some mm. of the practical effects from way back when. Um a lot of this still looked decent, you know, particularly when you've got like the, the skyline of London getting bombed, that still looks okay. I mean, it was, you can tell it's some form of green screen slash CGI or mixture of both, but it didn't look terrible. Stylistically, it still worked. And this is the same thing, you know, this tractor beam. Um, but one thing I did like as well, the set we've said before how in episodes of Doctor Who, uh, earlier episodes of New Who, it just, it just sort of has things there and presents them and says, this is this character. You know, in terms of sexuality or morality or, or anything like that. And they just set Jack's style out straight away with his interaction with Algy and, you know, when he's zooming mm. in on Rose's bum, he's in nice bottom. And Algy just says, time and a place, old man. And he says, <laughs> and Jack just turns around and says, you've got a nice bottom too, but I've got to go see a girl. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's kind of, it's kind of a, a, a sort of a cheeky, chappy charm, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting as well because this this two parter here. Obviously, like I said this is the first time we meet Captain Jack. Now, I only know Jack from Doctor Who. I've never seen mm. Torchwood, and this mm. is something we're going to get into eventually on the podcast and so on at some stage, I imagine. But my my whole knowledge of Jack the character is Doctor Who only. So this this sort of section with him here, this two parter, he's not portrayed in the greatest light for a great part of it, but then sort of comes through at the end, doesn't he? And it's that I remember the, the following episodes almost second guessing the character because of what we'd seen in this first two parter, I guess. Not knowing 100% whether you can trust him. Is he still a bit of a, you know, a bit of a nuisance, a bit of this con man or, or what? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, I do completely because I was exactly the same at the time. But then as you watch just through sort of the latter half of, of this Christopher Eccleston series, he very much has a, a character arc of. Uh, of, of changing and, and you know becoming sort of becoming a hero really yeah you know molding molding himself into you know in, in sort of in the doctor's image and then Torchwood just kind of continues that it's almost like a maturation of character because when we meet him he's you know he's this 
is you know fly by you know flyboy con man who's just sort of dicking about, and then by the time you get into Torchwood, he's trying to find the Doctor. He's got a team. He's got responsibilities. He's he's sort of planted his roots and knows very yeah. much what he's working towards. He's still quite a flawed character, though, but I think he would be bored, yeah. boring if not. He's still a very flawed character, but slightly, slightly different because he's trying to be good a lot of the time, doesn't it? Seems like he's trying to do the right thing. He just doesn't always make the right decisions. He's not quite as good yeah. as the doctor's making decisions, it, I think, was a part of the point, wasn't it? It's um, it's just kind of a heart's in the right place kind of thing. But he's still, mm. d- despite everything he's learned and and mistakes he's made throughout what's going you know, over a century of life at this point, into going into Torchwood, he can stay he's still fallible and he'll still fuck up. Mm. Which is good, you know. Yeah. I've found characters like that, they make shows, don't they? I mean, you mentioned 24 earlier on. Jack Bauer has got his issues. Mm. You know, that's what, that's what makes yeah. it interesting. You know, and um, I think that works on this level here with Jack as well. I mean, if if you had the Doctor and then you had somebody else who was also always on the side of right and so on, Jack's character wouldn't last very long, would it? Because it'd just basically get ditched to the side. It'd be unnecessary because you've already got somebody who has that kind of moral compass in the Doctor themselves. Yeah, well, that, that sort of point comes to a head in the finale of... Catherine Tate's series, because all the Doctor's companions to that point end up te- essentially teaming up to try and take down the Daleks, mm-hmm. and they've each got these plans to to destroy them or to destroy the planet or to follow the plan somehow. And the Doctor just stands there and he's just profoundly disappointed in all of them because they're willing to resort to destroying the Earth to make sure the Daleks don't win or committing you know committing a genocide of the, of the Daleks to make sure they don't win rather than finding the alternative route but then it gets taken a step further when Davros is saying you know this is my final victory you take ordinary people and turn them into weapons I've shown you yourself and he's trying you know trying to get one up on the doctor so even when push comes to shove even the doctor can be interpreted to have gotten it wrong mm. yeah fair enough yeah and it has on a few a few different parts. Uh, Captain Jack on, on here, you know, I think um, obviously we know that he goes on to be in more, but um, as a side character goes, he's very different because he's so charismatic. I think Dan's in my thoughts on Tortured and my thoughts on John Barrowman. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but the character, and John, one thing for John Barrowman is that he is very charismatic, very loud, and that carries him through the fact he's not a particularly good actor. But... <laughs> <laughs> Which, but when in this in this episode in these episodes he was brilliant because he was loud and charismatic and that's all he needed to be. Mm. Um, it's more the quiet moments and things like torture where you go, oh yeah, he's not he's not very good at this. I oh, see again. <laughs> I've not seen those yet. No, so. it's the more dramatic and, moments where you. Go, and I need to watch them back because I remember you know in torture I remember um, Burn Gorman Owen being oh, yeah. being very good. I remember I remember Tosh being very good. I remember Gwen being very good. Yanto, awesome, particularly in Children of Earth. Mm. But when I try, when you've said that now, I'm trying to think of a really brilliant John Barrowman moment. Nothing springs to mind. No, <laughs> and I didn't even realise. No, you're not selling the no. show to me. I'm not going to lie. But the show is brilliant, <laughs> and like like Dan said, the you know one in particular, Owen. Um, 
if you stick through Owen in the first few episodes and you get into his arms, he's, he's fantastic. Oh, he's, he's, he's an absolute <laughs> prick. They don't, they don't do him any, any favours, the writing at the beginning. I think we said to you before, Si, we're going on a completely different tangent here, but I think as we said to you before, Si, um, I think at the beginning of Torchwood, they tried very hard to say this is an adult version you know, to the point where they've right. got orgasm monsters and stuff like this. And they right. just tried to push that. Um, that was my that's nickname really in college. Thing. That's really a thing. Um, <laughs> and they push it the so of masturbation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they push it, so they push those themes so far where the actual, the characters aren't very likable, I think, in the first few episodes. Okay. Once they settle that down, and they actually spend more, they do episodes more focused on, so you'll have like an Owen-centric episode, and you'll have one more focused on Tosh, and they build up the characters. Um, the second series is amazing. Uh, like, pretty, 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 really good. Um, but yeah, anyway, we we need to discuss this one. We need to talk <laughs> about Captain Jack's, we need to talk about Captain Jack's cockpit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I did like is Rose just getting, I mean, she's happy she's been rescued, but also when he tells her to turn her phone off, and yeah. she gives it, oh, yeah, that's a real load off. I'm hanging in the sky in the middle of a German air radio, the Union Jack across my chest, but my phone's off. <laughs> <laughs> Again, those little touches, because it would be, I suppose you look at something like Star Trek, it's incredibly serious a lot of the time. Those little touches there, like, oh, you need to turn your phone off. No, seriously, because it messes my instruments. That, I don't know why, that's like a little tiny bit of light relief in that moment that it could be, I suppose, it talks you back down off the edge, I guess, because Rose is falling at one moment and there's bombs going off all around her and so on. Mm. I, I like that about Doctor Who, and especially like we said earlier on, well, I think it's more to said earlier on, with Eccleston and the that sort of era of the show, you do get those one-liners chucked in there. Almost in a way, they seem out of place, but they do still work, I guess. Yeah, yeah. they do. And one thing I do like about this bit, the cut into uh, into Jack's ship, and we get a bit of we will be boot because we've got a talking computer that tells him that the mobile communication device inc- indicates non-contemporaneous life form, which basically translates as a mobile means she's not from around here. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know, and also he he then lists when she's in the in the ship, like he then lists um, materials that she's wearing that aren't going to be around for a couple of decades and so on, doesn't he? And there's something to do with her watch as well. And, you know, so you're not from around these parts was kind of the line, wasn't it? Yeah. And then that's after Rose's, he's caught her and they have that very awkward hello where mm. Rose is thinking, Oh, hiya. At which, at which point I just feel bad for Mickey, um, to be quite honest. But, um, she has the comedy faint as well, saying, so, you know, he says, are you going to faint? You look a bit dizzy. She says, what about you? You're not even in focus. Yeah. That did actually make me chuckle when I watched it back today. As bad as, <laughs> yeah. as, bad or as cheesy as that could be. That was, I actually saw that and sort of giggled a bit at that, to be fair. Yeah. Love a bit of cheese. Yeah. <laughs> Got to done. So whereabouts yeah. is the Doctor at this point then? I've kind of lost uh, track. At this, at this point, the Doctor, uh, well, we, we cut back to... Uh, Nancy and the kids are on the table. They're handing out all the all the ah, yes. and, you know, say one slice each, and they so you know, thank you, Miss. Thank you, Miss. Thank you, Miss. And then yeah, the doctor's voice, thank you, Miss. And all the kids shit themselves. How did they not see him walking? How did well, nobody see him thing. walking? They're all looking at the grub, aren't they? They're starving. Uh, all right, yeah. I, I forgot my fat lad instincts for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if my, if my nose is in the trough, I, I don't know what's going on around me. <laughs> a, a bomb could have landed outside and my back could be full of broken glass. Tans. Fuck with that. <laughs> <laughs> this, 
this I really enjoyed as well, though. I think Christopher Eccleston here and you know the, the sort of interactions with, with the Nancy character back and forth. I mean, this is fantastic because she obviously doesn't trust him straight off the bat. She's like, he shouldn't be here either. Don't panic, kids. And all that. The, the, that interaction between the two of them is really good. Yeah, it is brilliant. And it's, it's showing you that just how streetwise and smart Nancy is. Mm. And then one of the kids asks, <laughs> asks if the doctor's a copper. And he says, what's a copper going to do with you? What, arrest you for starving? Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and, you know, they're saying that um, it all gets a bit heavy for a second and um, saying that, you know, Ernie was alluded to being abused at his foster home, so he's run back and... Nancy always gets him the best food and it's it's better on the streets. And you can see the doctor instantly admires her. Yeah. And she says, oh, well, what's so wrong with that? She's quite defensive. She says, wrong. I think it's brilliant. I'm not sure if it's Marxism in action or a West End musical. <laughs> it's yeah. just brilliant because the, the doctor is kind of like, he's, he obviously sees something in her and he's trying to he's trying to break down that barrier between them so they can actually talk about what's going on. Mm. But then the mood changes again, doesn't it? Because an extra visitor arrives. Your friend, Dan. Creepy little shit. <laughs> <laughs> Take your scarred hand and fuck off away from me, letterbox. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a euphemism. He actually does put his hand through the letterbox in case anyone else will miss this show. Um... <laughs> so the kid's okay. back and he's a little bastard yes. and the phone box, uh, the, the phone's ringing, putting his hand through the letterbox and Nancy just chucks a vase at him. Yeah. Which, forgive what we find out later on, fucking hell. Yeah. Yeah, but... <laughs> the thing that, again, this is something that does puzzle me. Well, there's two things that puzzle me, I suppose. One, answering the phone. Because we never see any... I suppose, other than the fear of hearing the voice, I don't think we ever see an issue, do we, with regards to answering the phone. It's not like it comes through the phone at you or anything like that. But she is dead adamant, do not answer the bloody phones. I think it's Maybe more... Maybe because she's hiding? Yeah, I was going to say, it's more confirming where she is. Okay, or, yeah. You know, if, if the phone answers, if you answer the phone and he hears her voice, He's then he knows where leave. she is. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I kind of read it as. Oh, uh, no, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. This, okay. this was one of the bits that I forgot about, because I remembered vividly, you know, mummy, are you my mummy? Where's my mummy, etc. But at mm-hmm. this point, he says something like, I'm scared of the bombs, and I don't remember him saying that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he I does. didn't he remember him saying of, that at all. He gets one or two other sentences, but because it, the, the the mummy thing and uh, are the ones so often repeated, even down to being repeated by Capaldi in the uh, in Mummy mm. on the Orient Express, yeah. bastard. Um, you forget <laughs> about these little touches. Um, it's when he says he'll make you like him. Like, what's he like? Empty. Mm. Well, that's it's, chilling. It's, yeah, <laughs> it really is. I know I'm going to choose this point to go back because um, we uh, we missed one of Eccleston's one-liners when they were all around the table. Because he's trying to find Rose and he says he's looking for a blonde in a Union Jack, a specific one I didn't just wake up with a craving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he says that to a room full of kids. He's, 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 he's brilliant. And I think that, that it's partly with the with the writing because I believe that this is um, Stephen Moffat's first uh, Doctor Who, isn't it, as well? It is, um, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, obviously he went on to, to do a lot on Sherlock and all that kind of stuff, and it's it's very similar. Of, I know it's the character anyway. It's very similar of his writing, really, that kind of style yeah. of uh, humour, isn't it? Mm. I've just noticed in my notes when the kid turns up, gas mask at the window, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Oh, dear. But, yeah, it's um, the Doctor just sticks around, and 
he said, um, he says he's opening the door and the kid's gone. Again, horror movie trick. Still very mm. creepy. Yeah, it is. It is it is very creepy. Same as when Nancy disappeared at the very beginning of the episode when the doctor turned around and she was gone. But again, why? That's one thing that I'm like, okay, if the kid was desperate to get in and then then the kid's gone when the door's opened. I didn't quite twig as to why the kid would disappear. I guess that he said that Nancy had gone. Yeah. Okay. I've heard everybody going out the back and just thought, nope. Mm. Not here anymore. Yeah, it's okay. just this, this bloke I talked to earlier who is no help to me whatsoever. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Uh, we're back with Rose then on the ship. Yeah, uh, more awkward flirting. Yeah, it was a bit. It got a bit much, didn't it? It got a bit much, and she's she's obviously hurt her hands because she's you know been vigorously grasping that uh, that rope to make sure she doesn't fall to the ground. And Jack fixes her fixes her scars, doesn't he? With little sparkly yellow robots called mm. nano jeans. But that's not after they've had, the, had his psychic paper out. Stop it. Ah. Um, <laughs> and uh, they, they go through how it works and, you know, so shows people what you want to read, uh, what you want them to read, and it, it tells Rose that he's single and he works out. <laughs> yeah, that was good. And then she, then, she hands, then she hands it back and says she's sort of got a boyfriend called Mickey but describes herself as very available. Poor Mickey. What a <laughs> Hey, That's right. Rose, kid, Rose is a bit of a whore, isn't she? Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> well, she is. You can't, you, know? you, can't call her a whore. you can't call her a whore. She's not getting picked. <laughs> Goodness me. Uh, <laughs> probably, we probably shouldn't leave that in either. <laughs> no, probably not. Jack uh, assumes then that, that Rose is a time agent. Which I took as being some just some form of like time police kind of effort, I guess is what it was hinted at, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Well, yeah, it's, it's explained in Tortured a lot more. So once you get to watch that, you, okay. you see a lot more about the time agency. You won't see any of it in Babylon Five. I'm not going to watch Babylon Five. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, Rob. Um, <laughs> by this stage, they they sort of uh, Rose and Jack. Sorry go up to the balcony, I guess, and it's the top of his invisible ship. And he's right outside the the clock face of, of Big Ben. I mean, that's a smooth move as well, wasn't he's it? He's a, a bit of dialogue here. Oh, yeah, when she asks the time and he just lights the clock up, that was, that was classy. And then when she says to him, why have you put, you know, you've parked right in front of Big Ben, and this is first rule of active camouflage, always remember where you've parked. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, why not? It makes perfect sense. Apparently, Jack has the, is it a Tula warship? Tula. 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 Okay. And it's the last one, and he has it available to the time agency for the right price. But effectively, Jack explains where it's parked or where he has left it or where it's crash landed, however he worded it at this moment. There's only two hours for them to give for the time agency or, or the time agents he believes Rose to be to pay him or give him an answer on it because in two hours time a bomb falls on that location and we'll destroy it and it'll be gone end of and as jack tried to explain it was the last one in the meantime the doctor's had quite an exchange with nancy hasn't he about well finding out more about this empty child i guess yeah basically that it um actually before they get into what who, who or what the kid actually is um 
the doctor follows him. She says, "How did you follow me? Nobody ever follows me." He says, "Well, I've got, I've got my nose has got special powers." And she says, "Is that because it's so?" And she stops. and says, "What?" And then Nancy says, "Well, do your ears have special powers as well?" <laughs> Love this exchange. Love that exchange just, between them. It was just brilliant. Yeah, and the doctor starts asking the right questions about did it. You know, about it started about a month ago, and the thing from the sky is it linked? And we find out the location of it. You know, the other side of Limehouse Green Station. And we found out that it's guarded. So obviously, it's a but it's a bomb that wasn't a bomb that's created a child that that's not a child. Mm. So it all adds to the level of intrigue. And now we've got a rough time frame, a place, and the fact that it's guard, guarded by the army. Mm. It's setting it out very very well. The sort of pieces are moving on the board, and we we can see where they're all going to converge. But well, then yeah, she, and she tells him who the sorry. child was as well, doesn't she? Yes. Uh, Does she say at this point? Yeah, I think yeah, so. I think it was at this point which she said thought, it was her brother. Bit... Oh, yeah, right. she explains it's her little brother, wasn't it? Because oh, the doctor asks, who did you lose? Was, it ah, was that at this point? I thought that was yeah. later on. When he's, I thought it was here, yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're right, but then again, I, I get confused easy, so that's, you know, you can't go by what I say. So, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, the doctor basically asks Nancy, who did you lose because of how she's well, looking after, like, caring for all these the, these kids that are sort of homeless uh, around the streets of London. Yeah, sorry, the two bits we're talking about were either side of Rose ne- negotiating right. and dancing with Jack. That's right. where I'm getting confuddled. Um, right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I've, I've got it. And, and again, that, that shows, when she says, you know, that her brother died a month ago, that shows, again, what a strong character she is, that she's, you know, sort of putting that, that strong face on and uh, mm. you know, stiff upper lip type deal, wouldn't she? Just head down, carry on, keep looking yeah. after the the kids that are left behind, so to speak. Mm. Not the not the strays, you heartless fuck. Not the strays. No. <laughs> I'm going to regret saying that, aren't I? <laughs> but, um, but you get um, you get kind of a a little summation of the situation from the doctor here as well, and he just sits there and he says because he, he quite stupidly says to her what happened to Jamie, to her brother, and she says, middle of an air raid, what do you think happened? Mm. And he just kind of has that, ah, yes. Yeah, that's, that, again, that's question. a line that I think, that's a line that I think a lot of people remember from it as well, isn't it? Mm. But then he sits there and he just says, amazing. 1941, not far from here, the German war machine is rolling out a map of Europe, country after country falling like dominoes. Nothing can stop it, nothing, until one, until one tiny, damp little island says, no, not here, a mouse in front of a lion. You're amazing, the lot of you. Don't know what you do to Hitler, but you're frightening the life out of me. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's so good. And again, I was watching Charlie at the corner of my eye when he was giving that because you know she, the age she's at, she she understands about. Uh, well, when when we see the, the the meal and so on and all the food, she understands that that was too much food because they're learning about rationing at school and all that sort mm. of stuff. So I was sort of watching out the corner of my eye, and the doctor gave that speech. It's quite a patriotic speech when you think about it, as as somebody from yeah. f- from England and so on. And I was sort of looking at the corner of my eye thinking, oh, is, is she going to sit there and be like, yeah, that was really good? Nothing. <laughs> just, just like that. I, so so Dan, Dan made the notes word for word. I wrote, he says pro-Britain stuff. Brilliant. To me, it is essentially pro-Britain. But I think it's got, it's got a broader context in that it's the doctor expressing his admiration for mm. this, this part of humanity. It also explains why, to a degree, because, you know, 
we know that he's got a big fondness for the earth and he keeps coming back to it. But he does mm. nine times out of ten come to England. So it does kind of, um, yeah. you know, he's <laughs> he's got a bit of an yeah, he has got a bit of a affinity with uh, with this particular little island, I suppose. He's an Anglophile. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so, so I was pretending to understand words again. Yeah, <laughs> so, I'll, so I'll, I'll look it up later. <laughs> Anything that ends in file can't be good. No, I reckon. Just, um, it, it, it just means he likes England. Uh, okay. What, likes? Like, no, never mind. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, the doctor wants to stick his dick in the earth, but specifically where England is. Through the letterbox. Right. Don't you see <laughs> Don't you sigh at me, sigh. Oh, for goodness <laughs> sake. That was a proper sigh, sigh, that was, wasn't it? It was. It was a big oh. sigh from big sigh. We need, we need, um, a, size, so we need a size size compilation. <laughs> Are we done? You got the lighting system? I thought I had a fart. No, I'm good. <laughs> anyway, she, is this the bit where she mentions the doctor? Yes. Because she yeah, says, he gets uh, like a little grin, doesn't he? to go see the doctor. It's like, oh, yeah. I'm going to meet a version of myself. He looks like he's... Yeah, this, but... is, this is where like the, <clears throat> the creepiness again goes up another level, doesn't it? When the doctor gets to the hospital. No, the, the creepiness is when you see through Jamie's eyes, when you see through the through the child's eyes. Yeah, right. he's, he's watching. He's just watching them, and they don't know he's there. Mm. And I'm just sat there, going, "Run, motherfuckers!" <laughs> <laughs> yes, very true. Um, and it, it's clever as well because it's done. It's done in a way so you know that the kid is watching, but it's obviously not alien eyes or like a Dalek vision where it's sort of like all circular or anything mm. like that. It's done if you put a gas mask on, you'd imagine it to be like that, isn't it? The, the, the sort of the, the glass or the plastic or whatever, the, the bends in it and, and so on. How that's how it would affect your vision, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And we get to see the first sighting of the sonic screwdriver this episode just after this when he uh, the doctor goes to the hospital and he sonics the lock, ignoring all the danger signs and walks into a ward where all the patients are laying in bed, all with gas masks on, all in the, all in the same pose, and all I've got in my notes is, fuck that for fun. Yeah, you've got the, light, you've got the light swaying creepily in the corridor when he comes out. Just quickly, I've got a Dan Griffin bit, because this hospital, you've got a lovely shot of the hospital. This hospital, this isn't the first time we've seen it. Okay. okay. Because this hospital was used... Uh, in the uh, Aliens in London, the Savine episode, where they have the little pig creature. Yes. It's the same hospital. Oh, why? Okay. I knew I'd seen it somewhere before. And that, was actually, that was actually the first nice. time we saw um, Tosh. Yes. Well, the, yeah, the character. Yeah. The character who'd become Tosh in Torchwood. Mm-hmm. She, was, she was played out a bit part in, this, in that episode in yep. Aliens, of, uh, Aliens of London. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's, it's, and it's supposed to be, that's, that's kind of, it's supposed to be the same uh, they ended up using it for unit, didn't they? But I don't. I don't think we see it again. I think it was only in the first season. But yeah, it was. Um, I thought that was quite cool, and it was a really good shot when you come up as well. Because yeah. I, I, I looked at. It, I didn't know that. I looked it up because of the shot where it lingered on the sign. I thought that must mean something. They've done that for a re- you know, like when they do like school and things like that. I thought mm. that's got some. That's got some history. Or, or in the <laughs> season following this, when you see the vote Saxon signs. Mm. Yeah, it's a very Russell T Davis thing to have those Easter eggs in the way. Yeah, but yeah, I did. I did very much like it, but this hospital is like my nightmare mm. until Victor Meldrew walks out. Yeah, yeah, he's he's great in this. Isn't Talk he? about oh, maximising yeah. your minutes. 
Yeah. Oh, Richard Wilson's fantastic in this, but he's just his his voice has such just gives everything that bit more sort of gravitas and meaning. It just authority, doesn't it? Yeah, authority. That's the word. Yeah. Yeah, it just it walks. You'll find them on every ward, hundreds of them. Oh fuck no! <laughs> yeah, and, and he asked the doctor to examine one of the bodies, doesn't he? And the doctor lists off issues that, that they've apparently got, like the head injury and the, and the and so on. And literally, Charlie next to me went, "They've all got the same scar on their hand." I was like, "Yeah, you yeah, well done." Yeah. <laughs> but before we even get there, Richard Wilson's character even has a cool name, Doctor Constantine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is great, and you know he says that Nancy sent him, and you know wants to be asking about the bomb, and saying you know none of these people were caught on uh, were caught up in the blast, and Doctor Constantine starts coughing, and the doctor says you're very sick, but he makes sure to keep him back, and he says dying, I should think I just haven't been able to find the time, okay. and he says uh, are you a doctor, and he says examine any one of them, but he just looks at him and says don't don't touch the flesh, yeah that's yeah. Aww. <laughs> it's just he's just fucking brilliant well done he's just fucking brilliant the, the, the actual the, the way that this is kind of directed is brilliant as well the way that the doctor's walking around and he's rich wilson's kind of sat in the middle of the room isn't he with his walking mm-hmm. stick with his cane it's just really well it's a brilliant scene really really good scene yeah and he's he's he just asks doctor says he examines the first one says conclusions Massive head trauma, most, uh, mostly to the left-hand side. Partial collapse of the chest cavity to the right, scarring on the back of the hand. Gas mask seems to be fused to the flesh, but I can't see any burns. And he says, right, examine another one. Identical, right down to the back of the scar on the back of the hand. And as they say, scar on the back of the hand, the shot changes to a shot looking up. Richard Wilson's hand is holding yeah. the cane, and you're looking up right at his face, and you see his eyes pop down to his own hand, and you can see the, the beginnings of the scar. On the back of his hand, so the, ten- the, the tension involved in that. Even now, watching it, and I've watched this a lot to try and rid myself of this stupid fear of gas mask. <laughs> it's so good. You almost it's get a so, false so start as well, don't you? There's almost like a false start to it because before, as you said, with the scar on the hand, it's obvious that you know the Doctor Constantine is is going to change. I guess turn into one of these gas mask creepers. But before that happened, and, and that's that's sort of what the the uh, I suppose the the suspense building is around, isn't it? Knowing that that's going to happen, mm-hmm. he bangs his cane, and they all sit up, yeah. and it's like whoa, okay. But then they all slowly lie back down again. So that's not that that's like a bit of a jump scare for you. That's like a bit of a oh my goodness moment. But it slowly fades back away again. And then the suspense starts building up again because you're back at the scar on his hand and he's coughing and so mm. on. So you almost have uh, effectively the, the main, I suppose, scare or the main moment in this scene is is Richard Wilson's character turning. But you almost yeah. have like a, a false start to it with them all sitting up as well. I think it's just brilliantly done. It's so well written. I hate it so much. <laughs> <laughs> but not, not in a way that I dislike it in that it shits me up every time. Every yeah. single time where they all sit up in unison. If I actually saw that in front of me, I'd probably just go. I'd probably just go grab one of them, just get it over with, kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't handle this. But we get another fantastic. Already, we get the sort of second fantastic Richard Wilson interaction with the doctor, where they're saying uh, when the bomb dropped, there was one victim. The doctor asks if it was dead. He says, "At first, 
injuries were truly were truly dreadful. By the following morning, every doctor and nurse who had treated him or had touched him had exact had the exact same injuries. By the morning after that, every patient on the same ward had the exact same injuries. Within a week, the entire hospital, and he gets this really brilliant line, which could, is I will do no justice because I just don't have the voice. It says physical injuries manifesting as plague. Mm. The yeah. way he says it is brilliant. He's perfect for this role. Yeah, he so. really is. And then and then the run through the cause of death as well. The same head trauma, no asphyxiation, no collapse of the chest cavity, no. All right, what was the cause of death? And he says there wasn't one. They're not dead. And that's when he bangs his fucking stick. Yeah, and they all sit up. Yeah. And the creepy twats all. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he says no heartbeat or life signs. They just don't die. Which again mm. is creepy as shit. I get the feeling Constantine was just getting out his last sort of melodrama before he turned. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, in the meantime, we see... Oh, no, sorry. I've just remembered another brilliant line from him. Okay. When he said, uh, the doctor saying, why isn't he, you know, why is he still there? He's the only one left. And he says, before this war began, I was a father and a grandfather. Now I am neither, but I'm mm. still a doctor. And the doctor says, I know the feeling or something like that, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. great interaction. This is yeah. it's so good. So good. Uh, I suppose elsewhere, then, I guess, we have Rose and Jack deciding to go and find Rose's companion, as Jack are is we, wording it. Are we not going to talk about the turn, then? Because that happened immediately oh, yeah. after this. Mm. Yeah, good show. <laughs> so I'm just saying, so I remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, Constantine starts coughing and he, he says, you know, there's isolated cases cropping up all over London and he manages to sort of choke out the room number where patient zero was and that's when he says it was Nancy's brother I've just seen that in my nose and she knows more mm. than she's saying and then we get the change and he's struggling out trying to get the words and he, he says, are you my mummy mm. and then the gas mask taking over his face when you see the, the, sort of the, the filter circle a bit come out of his mouth and take over, and then the it's it's the eyes that get me as well. You just see his eyes just turn, something bulge out of them and just turn into glass. And every the worst the leather bit for takes me, over. Yeah, one of the worst bits for me was the the black leather sort of going across his skin. Yeah, you know the rest of it you're looking at, and it, okay, it's it, it's it's not great, is it? It's not nice. I mean, it's pretty gross to watch, and it's pretty scary, and and so on. But that you know, it's quite dramatic, and so on. The the subtlety of the black sort of just filling up the skin and that taking over. That was, that, that's the bit that got me really. Yeah. I, I just like, what, what did you reckon to it, Mark? Yeah. I mean, I, I love that bit. Um, it doesn't, he, the way that he, I knew he said sells it, the way that he sells yeah. it <laughs> as well with, you know, how, how deep red his face goes and he looks like he's really struggling for breath and it, you know, he's just a brilliant actor. Yeah. Um, and then it come when it comes out, it's sort of it looks really painful for him, you know, it's coming out of his throat. What do you think about the the effects? Because obviously they are seventeen years old. Um, I'm not sure how you would get that kind of look better, even with modern. Um, it would. I think it'd maybe just just be a bit more sort of high definition to it, but I'm not sure that would work. Mm. I think for that purpose, it. it it needs to look the way it does because when everything finally settles down, that's when it, that's when you need it to look real. Yeah. So the fact that is sort of we find out later that his, his, his skin 
is effectively being reconstruct, reconstructed and so are his eyes and all of that. It yeah. needs to look a bit surreal mm. and a bit sort of not of this world, if you like. So then when everything yeah. settles down and becomes sort of solid, as it were, becomes real and physical and tangible, I, I, I think it still works. I, think I really do. Well. And I think it, I think it um, holds up well with the... Um, uh, with later on when you see the side on with the soldier. Oh yeah. 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 In fact, that might actually be worse. Yeah. When you see it come out of his mouth from side on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, coughing the, it up. that's like the better visual for me. I that, think that's so. kind of the, the, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think with regards to that change and that and the effects, I think you can tell it's older. It's not, it's not literally modern day, but at the same mm. time, it's not, it's not so bad that you look at it and think, okay, this looks dated. I mean, you can tell that it's a few years old, but it doesn't hinder anything. Whereas sometimes yeah. we've watched certain stuff uh, for the, for the podcast and, and Dan and I have watched certain effects, whether, you know, they were very recent or whatever. And you can tell that, Oh, that looks 50 years old or, Oh, that looks dated now or whatever. This, I suppose you can kind of tell that it's a little bit dated, but it didn't take away from anything. Yeah, like I said, I don't know, even with you know, sort of modern CGI effects, I don't know how you would make it look better or, or different, really. And especially when, when we later learn what it is, it does make sense the way that it looks as well, to be honest. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think it holds up well. That's the, that's the crucial thing. It still looks decent and it makes sense to that it looks that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair enough. Yeah. But uh, next up, we get everything sort of converging now, isn't it? Because we, uh, we get Jack and Rosie. Yeah, we, we kind of get, I guess... The, the cliffhanger of the episode we kind of get the same cliffhanger in two different places don't we because you've got all you've got jack and rose finding the doctor tracking for alien tech as uh as jack said he was going to and um rose enjoyed that didn't because of the dig she was giving the doctor earlier she, she, she says finally a professional yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also nancy's gone back into the house to get some more some more food and this is where the, the the empty child sort of confronts her again and we end up effectively with all of the, the the good guy characters i suppose the doctor jack and so on being backed up against the wall by monsters saying mummy and then in the other room in in the room in the house sorry you get the similar sort of situation with the child and nancy don't you yeah and it's sorry i'm sweating moths away fuck off um you get um before you develop tourette's then i thought you were <laughs> I thought you were on my train dan no, sorry, I'm just a twat. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've completely forgot what we're doing now. Um, yeah, it's the um, it's, it's the end bit because Nancy's under the table and the apple rolls out of a bag. Yeah, and the door closes and she's confronted by the kid. But then you've got you've got the whole the whole ward of patients is sort of activated, so to speak, and they're all being surrounded. And you get the you know it's all the mummy, mummy, and then you can distinctly hear Richard Wilson. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which, which is always which is you've got all these like gas mask zombies coming at them and then all of a sudden you just just hear Victor Meldrew in the background that's always struck me as a bit weird because he's pretty much the last voice you hear as the credits roll in, the, in part one mm. I figured that that you know I was watching re-watching that um, and when they're all stood and going towards my thought Dan's going to be shitting his pants <laughs> <laughs> the bit that the, I think it's just for me it's the second creepiest bit of the whole story is when the little boy points at the door and it closes because then you kind of get that feeling of the sort of the power that he's got yeah 
because uh, that's the first time you really see that kind of stuff from him. Um, yeah, it's a, real, it's a realization, isn't it? At that moment, like, yeah. And obviously, because Nancy is this new side character, she's dispensable to us. You know, mm. so that that was the real air of um, of uh, it's really, such a good cliffhanger. Like you say, it's like a double cliffhanger, really. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's very clever, very clever. Yeah. And all the um, while, all the while, Jack's been insisting that that he has no, that he, what he's been doing has nothing to do with it, and it, it's when he outs himself as a con man to Mister well. Spock, to Mister Spock, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which surprises me because I wouldn't think Rose is what eighteen, nineteen at this point, and she's yeah. a bit of a chav, isn't she? Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. have thought she knew who Spock was. If she was like nineteen in two thousand and five, and she's a bit of a chav. That surprised me. To be fair, they do establish later on that she also used to spend bank holidays watching Cliff Richard's movie, Cliff Richard movies with her mum. So maybe the maybe the whole chav things are front. <laughs> maybe, yeah, potentially. I, I was about to say Spock isn't in any Cliff Richard movies. <laughs> well, yes, I was trying gonna... to work out. I was trying to work out the connection there. <laughs> well, if you let me fucking finish before you judge what I'm saying, you know. <laughs> try not to be, try not to be twats all your lives. <laughs> <laughs> I've got this far. Um, no, I was, I, I was going to, and she obviously she enjoyed uh, the music that was playing earlier as well, which is a bit bit older. I, I was going to say, I, I was going to, yeah, I was going to say earlier, I might be completely wrong here, as I am wrong often. Uh, but when that started playing, I think that that song was in Torchwood in the flashback scenes. In the, you know, in the episode Captain Jack Harkness in Torchwood, there's an episode called Captain Jack Harkness. Die. Yeah, and um, okay. and it's set in that time period. And I'm sure when he's dancing, maybe even when he's dancing with Jack, you've got that. I'm sure it's that song. If not, it's very similar. Could well be. I might be wrong. But that, if, if that if that is the case, that's really cool. But if yeah. not, then I'm just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> For the sake of argument, we'll say it is. Yeah, mm. that's good enough for me. That's good enough for me. If it um, is, it's really cool because it's his first appearance on here and it's an episode torture called Captain Jack. That would be a cool link. Yeah. Yeah, I like stuff like that. It's good. Like you said earlier about the hospital appearing and so on as well. Mm. Like, stuff like that, I think it's brilliant. Yeah, me too. Uh, the, the start of the second episode then, The Doctor Dances. I, I I didn't really massively like this bit where he he's shouting, go to your room, and they all skulk off. I'm I'm not a big fan of this. But because the doctor basically stands there and very defiantly and yells at them all, go to your room. I'm very cross with you. And it cuts to uh, the child uh, and the child skulking off and leaving Nancy alone as well. Uh, but it's probably got his head bowed and it looks like he's been told off and it's in trouble and so on. But the next line of I'm glad that works because those have been some awful last words <laughs> that popped Charlie. So yeah. she, honestly, she roared with laughter when that was said. It's because yeah. he's he's taken a punt. He's, he's yeah. figured out that it's some sort of hive mind. So and it, you know, it's obviously it's a child's mind that's that's ruling it all. So he said, "It's oh, fuck it. I'll just act like a parent. <laughs> I'll just try and send him to his room. Send it to send him to the room. See if we can get yeah. him back in bed so we can leave." <laughs> yeah, because I, I didn't like that bit either, to be honest. But no. I, it I, it pays off later, um, and also very unrealistic because I've got two young kids, and that never fucking works. No, so, it doesn't yeah, but you don't have the you don't have the authority of Christopher Eccleston. I've got the ears. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> never noticed them before. Very lowby, very lowby, <laughs> very lowby. 
I'm the only person you'll ever meet, Si, that gets sunburnt lobes. Hell sunburnt yeah. lobes. <laughs> Wouldn't fit tiny solar panels on them, just <laughs> yeah. power your headphones or something. That's an idea, that is. That, there you go, that's, that's a Dragon's Den idea. <laughs> up, there, just, up there with the old uh, foreskin wallets and the the uh, mortuary cafe and all that yeah we'll, we'll put yeah. them all in one <laughs> um, oh, we get I, I reckon this now I'm, I suppose we're all going to end up you know unconscious of time jumping back and mm. forth a little bit here in this last this last sort of section of, of the show we're talking about but effectively all the the gas mask creepers for want of a better term they're all bit, they're all start skulking off elsewhere and it instantly relieves the tension of the moment and and so on. But then you get another jump scare back at the house as Nancy's trying to leave because the, she opens a door and there's another child there with a gas mask on that bears quite a striking resemblance to <laughs> to to Jamie, who you know we find out is the the empty child, I guess, as as they're titled. That did get me. That was a proper oh shit moment, you know? That one got me. Funnily enough, I can relate. I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was a good it was a good one, and it, the sort of the, the start of this episode is basically getting getting Rose and Jack up to speed as well as to what, mm-hmm. what's going on and what the what the gas mask zombies actually are. Um, but yeah, I quite like this whole bit of Nancy getting caught by the family. Yeah, and, and Nancy, you know this this bloke's called the police, and he's trying he's trying to dress her down and make her feel guilty and. Said, no, do you want to take anything else? So, you know, my wallet's in there. The sweat off my brow pays for this, blah, 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 blah. Do you want anything else? And she says, yeah, actually, some wire cutters and a torch. I've been watching this house for ages and I want another look in your kitchen cupboards because I was in a rush the first time. <laughs> and he tries it's to go down. badass, isn't it? It's so good. Oh, oh she's, I got, wrote, she's, she's got... I wrote she's a badass. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I've got, yeah. And she cuts him, you know, he starts going, the sweat off my brow. She cuts him off and says, there's a lot... It's quite a lot of food, isn't it? More than anybody else on this street. Half the street thinks your missus must be messing around with the butcher. But she's not, though. She's not, though. You are. Wire cutters, torch, food. And I'd like to use your toilet before I leave, please. And then a final words to him are, oh, look, there's the sweat on your brow. <laughs> fucking badass Nancy. Absolutely superb. And it just, it just adds more to how much you like this character, isn't it? Just, just so brilliant. You know, just... just everything about her uh, up to this point has just been fantastic. Every scene you see her in, I, I find myself liking her more and more. All of the side character, you know, cause obviously Jack is a side character in this, um, Dr. Constantine, her, they're all fantastic. They all fit mm. in any story. Yeah. Really, really good. Really strong. Yeah. It's yeah. awesome. Uh, the doctor, uh, do we get the running around before? No, we don't. We've got um, the remake no, it's, it's, first, don't we? Yeah, it's just now because the, the hmm. they go through the whole Jack's. Jack's got this weapon that can shoot holes in locks, you know, in a, in a square shape and and stuff like that. It's it's a sonic blaster, and we get a whole exchange where you know Jack's. You know, it was made in the weapons factories of Villengard. Have, have you been there? And the doctor says, "Oh yeah, once." And then Jack says, "The main reactor went critical and vaporized the lot." He says, "Yeah, like I said, once." Yeah, brilliant. There's a, there's a banana growth there now. I like bananas. Bananas are good. And he's lying. Bananas are not good. Bananas are disgusting, but, you know, not like that because it's the doctor. Weirdo. No, I like anyway. bananas. Bananas are great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kissing yeah, the ass of a fictional character, so I fucking hell. No, I like bananas. I'm what? What do you want me to do? <laughs> 
Obviously, I'm getting tired. They're in the the room now, aren't they? Yeah, room 802, which apparently is where the original patient was was taken uh, when the the sort of incident happened with a thing falling from the sky and so on, which we now know is obviously the child. And the doctor, Rose, and Jack enter this room, and straight away. I mean, there's, there's aspects to this that are, I suppose, I mean, Dan, you'll, you'll know probably better than I, but very horror movie-esque because there's things that you can see have been destroyed, the, the broken glass panels and so yeah. on. And then you get, there's something decidedly creepy, I think, about children's drawings done in repetition and stuck all over the place, as mm. it was on this, the wars. And then what, a children's toy just left on its own and it's literally i mean don't get me wrong uh, you, you said yourself what you got you got two kids uh dan you, you you're around your nieces and so on a great deal as well i got kids at home kids do leave toys lying around it's what happens but in certain scenarios such as this one a disregarded toy for some reason is creepy as shit because it's covered in broken glass well there is that of course but you know it's, it's like it's just the abandoned scene hmm. of this isn't it and you're wondering what exactly went on and the doctor starts playing this tape, doesn't he? And, and this I mean, is talk us through it, Dan. through what this yeah. tape does, and so on. So you've got the visual of, of the abandoned room that's been obviously been fucked up in some way, with the kids' paintings and the drawings on the wall, and all the toys knocked over, and the broken glass and everything. It's very powerful visually. And we I mentioned before about Richard Wilson's voice, because then he plays the tape, and you've got Richard Wilson trying to talk to the child who just keeps responding with variants on the same thing. You know, are you my mummy? Where's my mummy? Mummy. Giving it all that. Mm. So it's it's getting you on two fronts. You're seeing all this stuff and hearing this in the background, and it's very sort of subtly and almost subconsciously, like just registering it in your brain, and it, it, it's there, and you, you know it's going on, and then they start talking over it. Mm-hmm. And... It's all well and good, you know, they're figuring it out. And the doctor's, obviously, he feels like he's missed something. And he's there saying, you know, what's going on? He says, funny little human brains, how do you get around in those things? You know, and, and, and Rose is saying when he's stressed, he likes to insult species. And he's thinking about the kids at the bomb site. you know, the, kid, the kids at the bomb site. people being altered, the kids are afraid and powerful. And he says, mummy, I'm here in the background. It doesn't know it's powerful, but it will do. It's got the power of a god, and I just sent it to its room. And then you hear, you don't register it at first, but you hear a flickering, like yeah. a rhythmic ch- 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 And you hear the voice, can't you see me? Rose asks, what's that noise? The doctor says, end of the tape. It ran out about 30 seconds ago. I sent it to its room. This is its room. <laughs> and you get that penny, that penny drop moment, and you think, fuck. <laughs> It's so brilliant. This, oh, this was the creepiest moment for me. This is the bit that he like. It's like you know, I'm a, I'm a guy in my thirties and I'm watching it for like, oh my god, <laughs> and I've seen it before. You know, it, 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 it. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, it was really really creepy. There's also a bit just before that to make it a little bit um, a little bit lighter. Where when she says about him uh, insulting people, she says when he's uh, when he cuts himself shaving, he spends half an hour uh, naming species that he's smarter than. The doctor shaving is a, a doctor shaving is a concept I never considered. I always just thought that when he regenerated, that was just the way how it was. he was. I never yeah. envisaged 
the doctor just having a little bit of a shave and then <laughs> something I never imagined. Ah, see, now this has popped in my mind, oddly, and oh, stick with me here. This has popped in my mind before because when the, the new doctor was announced, he's got a little tash in some pictures. And I thought to myself, is he going to have, a, is the doctor going to have a little tash? I hope so. And that's just, I don't know, I was not exactly the same as picturing the doctor shaving, I guess, but that, that sort of, that, along those same lines, did pop in my yeah. mind with that. Well, the Matt Smith era addressed this. Because in the the Impossible Astronaut two part at the start of one of his series, uh, he gets put into a an inescapable prison made of dwarf star alloy, and he's he's chained up and, and for weeks on end. And by the time they finish the prison, he's got a big old beard. Right. And then later on, he hasn't got a big old beard, so therefore the Doctor must shave. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. See, there we go. A little bit. Clearing up the mysteries of Doctor Who here. <laughs> because I've spent far too anyway, much of my time watching you. Anyway, <laughs> this is creepy as shit. Yes. Yes. This is. It really is. So well done. It's so it's well done, isn't it? It ran out 30 seconds ago. <laughs> and that starts uh, all the running, doesn't it? And we get, we get a good portion of this episode uh, of them. Um, of the doctor, sorry, and, and companions running from, well, running from the child and lots of the other patients in the hospital. And one moment that I absolutely tickled me is when Jack goes for the blaster and pulls out a banana. That was great. Just a little throwback to their previous <laughs> yeah. interaction. You know, that was so well done. Yeah. But what's great about that is as well, that lays the framework for the callback back in the Matt Smith era as well. It's the uh, the Let's Kill Hitler episode where it introduces the fact that it, we see River Song regenerate into River Song as we know her um, later on, and they have this thing where she's got a gun behind, she's got a gun on the table behind her, but Matt Smith's turned it round so she's grabbed a, a banana out of the fruit bowl. Right. <laughs> it's just again that this whole replacing guns yeah. with bananas is the Doctor's thing, no matter what re- no matter what incarnation. But as well as, as well as the, all the, the banana shenanigans, bananigans, Maybe. yeah, that works. Um, <laughs> Rose has sort of proved us, proved how quick thinking she can be when the doctor and Jack are arguing about what devices they've got, and the doctor said, "I've got, I'm, I'm sonic tough. It's all sonic, like what a, a blaster, a, a screwdriver," and she just yeah. grabs Jack's gun and aims it at the floor. See you later. Job done. Um, it's really quite like, a drop, mind, isn't it? It's quite a drop. That's, that's yeah, it's down a full story, but you know, yeah. it's better than being turned into a gas mask zombie. Well, this is true. This is true. Yeah, but unfortunately, all the uh, all the running around effectively leads to him being being stuck in a room. Um, the doctor deadlocks the doors, which Jack doesn't believe will keep him out. The seven stories up, bad windows, no exits, and uh, and that's it. And then Jack fucks off. He's gone. Yeah, Jack just disappears, doesn't he? Yeah, it was uh, when they were thinking, oh, you prick. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it was. It's all backs up. The, yeah, it backs up that sort of mindset we had a bit earlier on, doesn't it, about him being a little bit of a shithouse. The, the con man aspect, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. And then things get creepy again. Because we're, we're back with Nancy, and these kids have, have gone back to where she normally stays. Mm. And she's, she's kind of annoyed at them. Because... You know, she's like, what if I don't come back? And, and there's a typewriter 
right there and the kid's trying to type a letter to his dad and they have this sort of half half amusing thing where he's saying you can't even read or write how are you going to do that and how are you going to post any other or put it in an envelope it's like a very you know <laughs> very kid sort of mentality and Nancy sort of confesses that she's off to the bomb site the kid the kid's not coming for them it's coming for her being with her puts them in danger and they say you know Ernie says you're the one that keeps us safe and she says you think so Ernie then answer this Jim's sitting right there next to you. Then who's that typing? And the, yeah, the kid's yeah. got control of the typewriter and it's just mummy over and over again. It's very, again, it's, it's, it's very similar to the tape running out noise in the background as you're focusing on, on the dialogue, on the conversation. There's that other thing mm. going on. And you actually get a shot of the kid, Jim, sat there as the typewriter's yeah. going, but you don't twig. You don't, you don't really onto it. think about it, yeah. No. It's so cleverly done. But as soon as she points yeah. out, oh, hang on, he's sat there, you go, oh, no. It's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, that, it's and, and I think obviously, obviously, you know, the time period is due to the bombs and the, a lot of the setting and, and all of that. But the fact that it is set when it is really helps with that atmosphere because, like, you know, yeah. when the tape was playing, you know, it's a bit crackly. And then you obviously, like you say, when the tape's running out, the typewriter, something a lot more creepy about a typewriter doing it going by itself than like a laptop you know mm. <laughs> it's um <laughs> it's, it really helps with the uh the atmosphere you know yeah, the modern yeah. the modern version would be uh it'd be typing mummy over and over again in comic sans <laughs> hashtag mummy hashtag yeah. mummy. <laughs> <laughs> um but we are sort of fl- flitting around here quite often and then we're back to rose and the doctor and she's moaning that the great look of the great looking ones always piss off and then we find that Jack can communicate to them with anything with a speaker via something called Oncom, the wee woo beep boop, and says, oh, like the child. You know, the child can speak through anything with a with oh. a speaker. And then you hit, and I can hear you coming to find you, mummy. Fuck Creepy. off. Creepy, man. <laughs> <laughs> so Jack gets around that by playing, uh, by playing more Glenn Miller. Um. And we're, you know we're flitting backwards and forward. Nancy's at the bomb site. She's sneaking with around with the wire cutters. Rose is in sitting in a wheelchair for some reason, and the doctor's trying to resonate the concrete to loosen the bars. And Rose decides it's time to dance for some reason. Um, yeah, I'm all about keeping your spirits up. I appreciate that, but that was a bit out of place. And Rose all this is a danger, bit off. Rose is a the... bit off in these episodes. Yes, I don't know. Everyone she, considers her like one of the best. Or whatever, but in these episodes, she's you know, she was a bit overly flirty with Jack, and then she's sort of, she, I think she's a bit horny in these episodes, you know, just a little bit. I did have a note later on when, because uh, they're, they're there on the in front of Big Ben on the, on the top of the invisible ship, and she summarizes the whole situation. She says, We're on top of an invisible ship in front of Big Ben in the London Blitz in the middle of an air raid. Is now really the best time to come on to me? And he stops, and she's like, Well, it was only a suggestion. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, it just sort of, and she, she just he, he, Jack outlines the whole thing, the whole con. Now it's going to go down, and and she just like I wasn't listening to a word you were saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a bit eager, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. she is. Yeah, she's, she's, yeah she's, not, she's not. She's not seen Mickey for a while, is she? By this point, know what I mean? The, yeah, I get you. That, that, definitely, <laughs> that definitely sounds like a euphemism. <laughs> But as we find out, it's uh, it's fifty first century pheromones. Right. Most people most people find Jack irresistible, and you know, fair play. Um, 
but yes, yeah, trying to get him to dance, and he's trying he's trying to remember how. And Jack's teleported him onto the ship. Uh, it took him ten minutes to get uh, to do something about his navcom or something like that. We will beat boo. Um, but throughout this, the doctors realised that Rose hasn't got any injuries on her on the palms of her hands after holding onto the barrage balloon. Um, and uh, the doctor basically figures out the nanogenes, and he wants to go see the crash site. Nancy gets right up to the tarp that's covering the uh, the bomb that isn't a bomb. The lights come on and she gets caught. Um, then we go back to Jack. We find out that he's a, he's a con man, yes, but it's because the time agency stole two years of his memories and he wants them back. Which again and is to- good because it, it gives him that motivation for being that little bit of a shit ice, doesn't it? It almost excuses to, away yeah. his bad behaviour in a way. Oh, and wanting to get get one over on the time agency, yeah, more crucially. But to my knowledge, this thing about his missing memories never comes up again okay. in Doctor Who or Torchwood. Hmm. Or am I just not putting two and two together there? I'm trying to picture if because um, I was thinking this because there obviously there is a, a large there's an episode that we mentioned earlier of Torchwood Captain Jack Harkness which goes back to that time where he stole that particular identity. Mm. And I figured that was around because he had lost his memories at that point in time. So that's why he stole the identity. Um, yeah. but I don't think we ever really, I mean, even with the history that we find out, I don't think we really get into his memories being who took them or anything like that. I don't think we really do. I've only rewatched yeah. it a few months ago, but it's not ringing a bell that we do. It's, it's, it's an annoying thing that I've gone back and realised, yeah, they never they never told us what that was. We never, we never figured it out. Jack just went along for the ride with the Doctor and Rose, got exterminated, got brought back, and, and it was just dropped. They do a lot of stuff about the... Um, yeah, they do a lot of stuff about the Time Agency, and you meet other characters that are involved in that, but I don't think it, it was ever really explained that element of it, but maybe I'll go back and watch Captain Jack, because if it is, it will be in that episode. Yeah. That's where he takes the identity. Okay. But more importantly for Nancy, she's been left with a soldier who's obviously very sick and has a scar on his hand. Um, now, sorry, Dan, how good is Nancy here, the actress? This scene, she is fantastic in life. And how, and the soldier's pretty good as well. We've yeah. played him. Um, yeah. He's br- yeah, they're both brilliant. It's She is terrified and you can see it she, she says she wanted to find out what killed her little brother um oh it's the, it's the character's called jenkins and as the the guy orders him to watch her he says yes mummy which is just so subtle you know it's like, it's like what but it's uh, it's algae from before as well i think mm-hmm. who was in with in the room with jack yeah again another great touch you know he's, he's saying nice he's to go off on some guard yeah that's the one that's the one <laughs> algae, I'll, algae with a good bum um He's, you know, he's like, what? And he says, yes, sir, sorry, I'm just I'm out of sorts. And Nancy's just reeling it off, isn't she? He gets irate, demanding to know what's the matter with her and why she's scared. He says, and she's like, you've got the scar on the back of your hand. You feel sick, like something's forcing its way up your, th- up your throat. In a minute, you won't be you anymore. You won't even remember you. Mm. And he's asking, asking him his mum's name, his wife's name, if he's got kids, you know, asking his name and begging to be let go. And he's like, he's like what do you... M- M- mommy 
Oh, and you hear, yeah. you hear it and you hear him turn rather than seeing it. And yeah. somehow hearing it's just as grim mm. as seeing it. Well, it's your own imagination, I suppose, as well, isn't it? When you get something like that, the, the sort of the signs, and you know what it is, but it can sort of snowball in your own head, I guess, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's an old horror movie thing where evil's only scary when you can't see its face. Right, okay. It's why Michael Myers is scary. Mm-hmm. Jason Voorhees is scary. Leatherface is scary. Because you yeah. can't actually I love see that kind of stuff in... in- I've, I've said before on stuff that I'm a, uh, I'm more into TV than I am for films stuff like that. I won't go into it now, but I am. But one of the big things that I like, I like silence and things like that that are used. And it is stuff like the stuff that you can't see. Um, mm. I don't know if either of you, I know one of you definitely hasn't. Either of you have watched <laughs> Luther, but there's an episode of, of Luther no, where you're following um, a girl down the street from the angles from behind her. Because of the mood and the fact of what program it is, you know something's going to happen. You just right. don't know when. And you get all the way to her flat and you get into the room and she lays down on the bed and the door closes. And very slowly, someone slides up underneath her bed on their back. It's such a creepy thing because you're waiting that whole oh, time. No. You know something's going to happen. You just don't know. Are they going to jump from around the corner? Are they going to come from here behind the curtain or whatever? And I love stuff like that. And they, this is the same kind of thing, even though obviously this has been, we know what this is. You don't need yeah. to see it. You know what's happening and you are scared for her. Because again, she is at this point, you know, she's, um, she's, she's handcuffed to the table. She's, she's, mm. yeah. And, and she's defenseless. Mm. She, she's her most vulnerable. It, it really is a brilliant little scene. Another great touch in this whole thing. Um, and another reason why and, it's shocking she didn't go on to do much more because she's, yeah. you know, anyone watching this would go, she's incredible, you know, what a talent, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and but with the leave it there as well, because we cut straight to the Doctor Rose and Jack approaching the site. Jack sees that it's Algie on duty who he was flirting with before. Rose offers to to distract. But she says the words distract the guard coming my way, and Jack's just like, let me just say you're not his type. And he walks off and Rose's like, well, hang on, he was flirting with me before. And yeah. the doctor just says, relax, he's a 51st century guy. He's just more flexible when it comes to dancing. And Rose <laughs> says, well, how flexible? And he says, uh, 51st century, you're out amongst the stars. So many species, so little time. <laughs> Very Captain Kirk-esque, isn't it? Because he likes, he likes putting it about a bit, doesn't he, in space? You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so basically. Um, but we get Jack approaching Algae and... and Algie turns around and he says, Jack, are you my mummy? Oh, yeah. And he's like, what the fuck? And then just after a little bit of that sort of back and forth and Jack being very confused, Algie falls, falls to his knees and we get this that side-on transformation that we said about before. And we hear the air raid mm. start and they know the bomb's imminent. But that side-on view of the gas mask forcing its way through and becoming part of him. And then the realisation that the virus is now airborne. So any of them could turn any second. Well, maybe not the doctor seen as he's seen as he's alien, but mm. it, it really is upping the danger and upping the stakes. And it's really it back amping up the, yeah. And the tension. Yeah. And it's again, though, it comes back to signs as well. A little bit for me, we've had that, the, the sound of the guard changing and we don't quite know what's happened there. You get, 
I suppose a little bit of lightheartedness with, with Jack and the doctor and Rose about distracting the guard. Then the sound and obviously the visual as well of, of that guard changing. And then you mentioned the air raid siren kicking in as well. That siren, I think, adds to it because all of a sudden that little bit of lightheartedness, the little chatting and joking around, oh, he's not your type, etc. That discussion it, it, it's well gone it's, it's very much in the in the in the distant past even though it was only a few seconds ago because the air raid siren has hit the silence has been broken and it's all just building and building and building isn't it it's an attack on the senses from like i said before like when they were in the uh, in the child's room mm. yeah the, 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 the visuals and and the sounds are so perfectly placed and so perfectly timed that like you say everything just ramps up it's it's incredible, and the, the doctor again adds to it more by saying the the they uncover the ambulance ship, and the British think they've got hold they've got hold of Hitler's secret weapon. Yeah, Jack tries to get in, but emergency protocols activate and, and alert the the gas mask zombies effectively to bring you know to bring it back because we find out then as well that they're fully programmed Tula soldiers because that's what the nanogenes do they repair people for combat. So they've effectively, as well as rewriting the flesh, they've rewritten the whole sort of genetics and and and, and the purpose. Yeah, the mindset, um, isn't it? They get that they're, they're 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 soldiers now, as opposed to just people who were in an in a, in a hospital or a doctor or whatever, aren't they? Yeah, it's we've got a couple of really good bits here because uh, just before we get to this, uh, the doctor sends Jack to barricade the gates, sends Rhodes and Nancy to reattach the barbed wire. When he reels off the sonic screwdriver setting, setting two, <laughs> setting two four two eight dash D, reattaches barbed wire. Brilliant. Um, and we get sort of Nancy and Rose sat together, and oh, this is superb. Yeah, saying you know Rose wouldn't believe her if she told her where she was from, and she says you told me that thing is from another world. Fair enough, I'll believe anything. People are running around with gas mask heads calling for the mummies. The sky's full of Germans dropping bombs on me. Do you think there's anything left I couldn't believe? <laughs> and Rose says that the time travellers, Nancy calls her mad. But she doesn't call her mad because of the time machine. She'll believe the time machine, but she doesn't believe there's a future. Uh, in the middle of the in the middle of the war in nineteen forty one, which is was harrowing, a, isn't it? It really makes it, you think it, how, how dark a time that was. Yeah, it feels such an accurate um, mindset and such an accurate opinion when faced with the impossible and, and the ridiculous Nancy's one concern is you might be a time traveller but what's left after this after all this horror that, 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 that they've endured and and Rose gives her a glimmer of hope says she was born in London's future she doesn't speak German it's because we win and again maybe a bit on the you know, bit on the patriotic side looking back Oh, I loved it, mate. I loved it. Yeah, I, I did like it, but I've, I'm getting cynical in my old age. <laughs> I thought it was great because it was, it's almost a rarity in this, I think. We're, we're, we're singing the praises of the actress who plays Nancy and, and the way the character is written and so on. There's so many moments where you realise that her, her existence, her life in general, it is quite a dark situation to be in. She's lost who, who we're, we're told is her little brother. She's running around homeless, trying to feed these these kids. So that's a huge level of responsibility. In the middle of the war, there's always that peril that you, you should get caught whilst stealing the food, as we saw earlier on. And then the whole time she's doing this, 
she explains, you know, she doesn't believe there's a future and so on to Rose. It makes you realize that she's doing all this and she's almost effectively got no actual hope left in her. But then Rose gives her that back. Rose, it's almost like this is the first time, the first time to this character, she's told it's going to be okay. Mm. Yeah, and then the first time that she actually believes it. Mm, yeah. None of us can, can imagine quite how desolate and hopeless it must have felt back in those days. Yeah, yeah, totally. Bombs dropping from the sky, afraid to go outside, limited food. Just so much going bad. So, yeah, it's... Well, it's terrifying, it is, isn't it? it? You it's know, when you look yeah. back and... Yeah, you, you think about, you know, the, the situation everyone was in a couple of years ago and everyone's, you know, how much that affected people. That's got nothing yeah. on this period of time. You know, what no. we went through where we, you know, we couldn't see family or whatever. That's, you know, and yes, people, you know, people were passing away and, and et cetera, but it wasn't to that degree of your family, losing your family to that degree and the fear of absolutely no tomorrow. And, you know, it was, um, yeah, it's, it, and, and when you watch programs like this because it's so well acted it does you know kind of give you that uh that feel of uh you know thinking how lucky you are really doesn't it yeah oh yeah totally totally and on the note of you know the characters and how it's all working out rose is good in this scene as opposed to being a bit extra in the other scenes here it mm. works <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with, with one character you don't want to shag yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah basically <laughs> Oh dear! I can't help but feel we're doing Rose a bit of a disservice because she does. Outside of this stuff, she she does have some really good episodes. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I think it's just in just in because it's just in these episodes. I think I don't remember her being particular. And I've I've just rewatched. I finished rewatching Christopher Eccleston series today, um, and she's really good in the majority of it. But it's and there is a couple of them where you know like that Adam simp and all that where she's a little bit mm. oh, that dick. a little bit she's a little bit amy pond but um she's <laughs> <laughs> generally speaking she's not that bad yeah and we go from that to another great bit where jack finally gets the ambulance up and it's empty but the doctors pointed out it's full of nanogenes enough to yeah. rebuild a species but it found it found a dead child and says, what, and Rose is saying, what, they brought it back to life? And the doctor says, what's life? Life's easy, a quirk of matter. Nature's way of keeping meat fresh. <laughs> Which I thought was just fucking hell. That's uh, that's one way of saying it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he says, one problem, these nanogenes haven't seen a human before, no frame of reference. All they've got is one little boy and there's not a lot left. But they carry on doing what they're pre-programmed to do. They patch it up, they can't tell what's gas mask and what's school, but they do the best. And off the fly, go to work and... and you know, they've got work to do because uh, now they think they know what people should look like and it's time to fix all the rest and they won't ever stop. The entire human race rebuilt in the image of one terrified child looking for its mother and nothing in the world can stop it. Which is a great, another great speech. Chris Reckleston and pretty much all the doctors do these speeches so damn well. Mm. And it, it Also, I think as well, you've got the I suppose, twofold situation there of the, the nanogenes are what's turning people into these these gas mask zombies, but it's not even like you can feel any uh, any ill feeling towards them because they're not doing anything. They're not really a villain. The, You've not really got a villain. No, mm. yeah. exactly. Yeah, they're, they're not doing anything in in their actions aren't wrong. They're doing 
that in a way they think they're helping they're bringing the kid back to life they're 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 there to fix injuries they see these other humans as being injured or wrong and they're trying mm. to fix them and it's the same as uh, the, the child itself it's just a scared kid looking for its mum. and yeah it, even though it's the big it, this is the scariest uh individual in the show you know this is like the the main sort of aspect of what makes it creepy i guess the the child and it's it's, it's almost stalking of uh nancy and the other children and the other characters you can't even just dislike that because it's just a kid looking for his mum. It's I mean, it's just really cleverly I done. Think Dan can. <laughs> well, Dan, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably, yeah. <laughs> but but taking you know, my sort of taking my fear out of it for a second, there's the closest thing to a villain we've got in this is the charismatic con man Shaghound who we've spent the last two episodes like really getting to like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if we sorry, we're just laughing at Shaghound. <laughs> it's just it's just very cleverly done, isn't it? I think it's really yeah, cleverly done. It's it's prime. This combination of of Moffat and Russell T Davis is is absolutely golden in terms of early days. New Who. Mm. This is them at their sort of peak, like with mm. this kind of with this clever writing and stuff like that. And it's so everything's encroaching now, and, and it's getting very close to. Um. To you know, being being done, to being game over for the human race, the signals drawing them in. We say about the nanogenes programming them to be soldiers, fully equipped Tula warriors, out with the attitude of an hysterical four-year-old. But then they stop because they're waiting for their commander. Yeah, that was chilling as well. All just staring blankly ahead, weren't they? Mm. Yeah, I've had that nightmare several times. Um, <laughs> You get a line from the doctor where he says, there isn't a little boy in the world who wouldn't tear the world apart to save his mummy, and this one can. And it, the doctor's there in, in a moment of almost hopelessness, he's trying to figure out what they can do. And that's when Nancy sort of cracks and says it's her fault. And as she says that, all the gas mask zombies start saying mummy. Yeah. Almost, oh, now, given that we know what happens, it's almost telegraphing what's happening, but it's just the boy arriving. And the doctor then sort of twigs and he said, how old are you, Nancy? You know, 2021, 20, older than you look. The bombs are getting closer as well because we won't go off really nearby. Mm-hmm. And they have seconds. And the doctor just says to Jack, do what you have to do. And Jack fucking teleports again. Yeah. And again, you think shit house at this moment, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, you do. And then the doctor basically figures out that Nancy is a, a teenage single mother in 1941. So she hid it and claimed to be uh, Jamie's sister, not his mum. Yeah. And as, as the sister, uh, sorry, as the sister, sorry, sister, um, as the kid breaks in, I saw that little smoke more. I'll listen. <laughs> um, <laughs> as the kid breaks in and starts saying, you're my mummy, the doctor's there having to wear on saying he's never going to stop asking, so tell him. And he keeps asking. And she keeps saying, yes, yes, I'm your mummy. And I'll always be when he said, but the doctor, again, with another really brilliantly written line, says, he doesn't understand. There's not enough of him left. Yeah, that was... The empty child, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's great. But then, you know, Jamie comes up and and hugs his mum, and the nanogenes appear. And the doctor finally has a bit of hope and he's there saying, you know, recognise the parent DNA, figure it out. 
say, come clever on, little robots. Yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> and, and also, again, I'm watching this with Charlie at this moment. Yeah, and I was waiting for this, you know, the, the hug and the and the, 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 the nano jeans and all the glowing and, and all that sort of stuff going on. And I'm thinking, this may be a moment where I have to sort of just explain exactly what what's happening here. But I didn't need to because the doctor just explains in what could be quite a complicated thing, really, with the sci-fi aspect, the wee wee beep boop of it, so to speak. He literally just says they're recognising the superior information, the parent DNA. Mm. and boom it's done it's made so simple and, and charlie got it straight away you know cause I, I do this a lot with wrestling with regards to charlie being my gauge as like a younger person's eyes on a product so to speak i sort of had the same thing here and the fact that she just twigged straight away because of what the doctor said i thought wow what a really well written line to make it so clear to people who might not get into the whole i guess i guess sci-fi aspect of certain things you know yeah it's it is very cool and, and like I say it's so accessible for 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 all ages really and just when you've got the doctor with his his hope and, and he say come on give me a day like this give me this one and he takes the mask off and Jamie's fixed yeah and just the sheer happiness on his face and he, he just sums it up because they didn't change Nancy because she changed them again just summar, summar, uh, summarizing it so simply and just proving once again the doctor is always the smartest motherfucker in the room. Rose asks him about the bomb. And he says, oh, it's taken care of. He says, how? Psychology. And we see a sort of quite dramatic shot of the bomb dropping. And who swoops in to stop it at the last minute? Good old shaghound. <sighs> and he's, he's straddled it as well, hasn't he? He's... <laughs> because of course he has. Of course he has. Would, would, uh, would you expect him to do anything else? Nah. No, classy yeah. deep, classy deep. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a bomb in your pants? You're just happy to see. <laughs> yeah, so he's, he's, he's we will beep to we will beep boop to. It's put it in stasis, but it won't last long. Doctor says, get rid of it as safely as you can, and Jack says his goodbyes. Uh, compliments yep. Rose's t-shirt, flies off, and we get again just Eccleston calls the nanogenes to him gives it a software patch and says, just says, everybody lives, Rose, just this once, everybody lives. And after shitting my pants for an hour and a half at these fucking gas mask zombies, they're all better and they're all taking the masks off and I can feel better about life again. We, we get an absolutely brilliant moment though, don't we? With the lady oh, and the, yeah. doc- the doctor constant. Oh, it's so but, good. But, after the pep talk from Eccles, from the doctor, though, Dr. Constantine who never left his patients. Back on your feet, constant doctor. The world doesn't want to get a bye without you just yet, and I don't blame it one bit. And he basically says, don't make a big deal of it, but all the ailments have been cured, so just tell them what a great doctor you are. <laughs> and do, do one of you guys want to run through what happens <laughs> immediately after that? Do you want to take this? Yeah, so uh, so then a, a, an elder lady comes up to Dr. Constantine and she says, you know, that she's she's all better and and he's about to explain. She said, well, I, I only had one leg when I came to see you. you <laughs> yeah. My legs seems to be growing back. I only had one before. And he said, um, he said something along the lines of, is it possible you could have miscounted? Is yeah. in that, in that brilliant... In that... <laughs> In that brilliant Richard Wilson voice, he goes, "Well, there is a war on. Is it? But is it possible you miscounted?" It's just so. Oh, it's just brilliant. So funny. In, in terms of characters that you could have seen again and would have worked again, 
I would have loved to have seen him again because him and the yeah. doctor did have that rapport and yeah. he could have been, you know, a few years down the line involved in another story with, uh, you know, different, in a different hospital or something. He's a character you could have used again. Mm. Uh, I think he would have, you know, maybe been, had a little bit more mileage than even Nancy. Cause like I say, I think Nancy's uh, story arc completed here really. Yeah. I, I suppose she, she gets to raise Jamie and, and live happily ever after, I guess. And, and uh, raise him as, of... as her son, it seems. Yeah. Yeah, you could well you could have had um, given the time period you could have had um, Dr. Constantine working for Unit. Yeah, in the very in the very near future, mm. that'd have been yeah, a good, good way sight. to get him in. But sadly, not. And I, th- I think Richard Wilson's done acting now. Right. Okay. Unfortunately, um, I mean he's got to be in his nineties now, right? You'd think, yeah, he yeah. He's definitely in his eighties. I looked this up the other day. Well, he was. He was. He was in his. He was in his eight. He was in his eighties or his late seventies when he came out, wasn't he? Because they did a big thing about it, didn't they, on the um, on the press about uh, the fact that he came out at that late age, and he did a lot of sort of because he didn't do he didn't do it, like go out and announce it to the press, but someone found out, and then he was basically came out and said, yeah, you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And it was deemed as quite a very positive thing because obviously a man mm. of that age mm. to you know he's he's I'm sure he was in the seventies or eighties when he came out, and really you know he's, um, he could have lived it longer eighty six. So he could oh. he could have lived a bit longer and not said anything and and whatever. So I think it was taken as quite a positive thing that, you know, he was obviously able to accept that. Um, yeah. So I knew that he was nearer that age. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if he is done acting, then you know you, you can't do much more. Everything he's been in has been brilliant, and he's yes. been brilliant in it all. You know, um, I, I never really watched Merlin much, but I know he was pretty brilliant in that. And obviously, everyone knows him for, um, you know, Victor Meldry, which I wish yeah. they'd never killed him off. Yeah, that was a horrific yeah. ending. That wasn't it. That was yeah, yeah. That was hard. That was a hard. Watch. It was upsetting. It really was. I used yeah. to love that show. But it, it, yeah, was it, was it was surprisingly. It was surprisingly young when he started that, though. Yeah. Because I'm yeah. watching it, thinking, God, this 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 old man. And uh, it was, he was. It was, was younger during that than my parents are now. <laughs> he was fifty something, wasn't he? Because fifty four. As random as this is, Jennifer Aniston has just had a birthday, and apparently the birthday Jennifer Aniston has just had puts her the same age that Richard Wilson was when he started filming One Foot in the Grave. That maybe, the they're gonna do, maybe they're going to do an American-style sitcom reboot of One Foot in the Grave with Jennifer Aniston as Vic- Victoria Meldry. Victoria Meldry. I'd watch it, mate. I'd watch it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, all the positivity we have at the end of this episode. Everybody mm. lives that line, and the, the the leg has grown back. As you know, everyone's happy, <laughs> smiling away, and so on. We cut to Jack, don't we? And the first time round watching it, you're thinking, "Ah, shit," because it looks like he's he's done for. Because you think can't... it can't be that happy of an ending, because there's yeah, always some exactly. shit is yeah. down. Exactly, yeah. there must be something has to go wrong. And it cuts to Jack, and he's talking to his computer about. I can't quite on. like this. Be flirting with the computer. Yes, of course. Yeah, <laughs> he, he misunderstood Cybersex. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, when he, it's when he's saying about ways that can dispose of the bomb. And it's in the stasis decaying at ninety percent cycle, detonation in three minutes. Jettison will cause detonation. He says, "What about an escape pod? There are no escape pods on board. What about an escape pod for me? There are no escape pods on board." <laughs> <laughs> And basically gets told that there's a 100% chance he's going to die, so he engages yeah. an emergency protocol that makes him a martini. Class. <laughs> so good. And then he starts telling him, telling him about when he, the second time he got sentenced to death. 
he ordered four hyper vodkas for his breakfast and woke up in bed with both of, both of his executions. A lovely couple. <laughs> and, they stayed, and, they, and, and they stayed in touch too, which can't be said for most executions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I repeat again, absolute shagound. <laughs> just fantastic. Just again, it, the guy is facing death and it's just comedy all the way. But at the same time, like you said more, it's like, it's not going to be a happy ending all round because it looks like he's going to die. But then we get another little mini swerve, don't we? Mm. Yeah, we're Glenn Miller, and we see from the TARDIS, from the TARDIS view, and the, the Doctor's there trying to dance again. <laughs> he gets the dance move wrong, and Rose tells him there's no extra points for a half Nelson. Um, <laughs> Jack runs in, and the Doctor's saying, "Close the door, will you? Your ship's about to blow up. There'll be a draft." <laughs> that popped Charlie. That did. That got <laughs> it. That was that was like the second big laugh moment from Charlie. That one. I love that, and then we get the whole "it's bigger on the inside" thing. And the Doctor remembers that he can dance. And that's just how it ends. It goes off the air with the Doctor dancing. Yeah, and, and I mentioned okay. earlier on, there's a couple of things that... I, again, I come back to you. I love this this two-parter. I love this story. I love Christopher Eccleston as the Doctor. Everything about it, I, I just think this is fantastic. Um, I'm glad that you picked this, Morty, because I really enjoyed watching it back. And also, I'm really happy that I got to sit and watch it back. And this is Charlie's first sort of introduction to the show. The first issue I had, though, was obviously the whole hanging from a rope situation. The second one is the dancing at the end. It's just like, it's a bit... Uh, it, is, is it needed? I, I get that they're happy and everything's good and so on, and I, I, I appreciate the, the theme of the dancing discussion runs through the episode, but the way it came around with the Doctor turning around and going, I've just remembered, I can dance, but then he repeats the same line again, I was just sat there like, nah, it's a bit a bit too cheesy for me, that bit. You're a miserable old fucker. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it didn't it didn't bother me that one. Um mainly because because of the Jack dance earlier. Right. Um it's it's reaffirming that Rose is the doctor's you know, they they are still your main sort of crew, really. Um that's how I sort of sort of read into it, because obviously she was Jack's going to stick around, but it's not going to be a romance story between them two. Jack's going to be the side character. I thought okay. that's kind of what it, that's how I kind of read it. And what I, what I really liked. So I, as I said to you um, earlier, I just rewatched the whole Christopher Eccleston series. And when I've watched it in the past, I always thought a lot of them like Doctor Who is are individual stories. And then you've got the odd two parter and the odd this that, and the other. When you okay, watch yep. it, every single episode actually leads to the final story. Every single one does. Whether it's the bad wolf references, whether it's this being the the you know so overtly happy, it was because of what happens in the next episode, um, which is Boomtown, and then that leads into the next episode. And it's all even you know her dad that features in episode four or whatever that's mentioned that that's relevant in the final episode. Every single episode, there's something that happens that leads to that final episode. It's so brilliantly, expertly so done. That's really interesting because I was. I was having a conversation with the wife before we recorded, having just watched this with Charlie. Hmm. What episode do I show her next? Because I got to be careful because I want to show her something that's going to grab her. Don't and do Boomtown. Do... No. Don't do Boomtown. Okay. It's shit. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's shit. I think I appreciate it more now than I did when I was younger. I wouldn't have appreciated it at her age because there's not there's no action in it really. Yeah, that's. I the think it's thing, I honestly. think it's a very important yeah. piece for the Doctor's character. I think it's very important. 
episode. It's a bit like um, I don't think either of you are big on Breaking Bad. I'm not sure about Dan. But uh, yeah, I, 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 watched I watched Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah I, so watched, the, I watched it, but it was it was a bit. So the no. the fly is the most diverse of episode. Some people mm. love it, some people hate it. I Loved did it. not like it, and when I rewatched it, maybe the second to third time. I appreciated it so much more. And I think that was the same with Boomtown, but I certainly wouldn't show it to, to Charlie if you're just getting her into it. Okay. Skip, skip Boomtown, go straight to the finale too, but uh, maybe before that show of the episode aboard uh, with Simon Pegg and the, and the Jagrafess on board the okay, uh, yeah. on board Satellite 5, because that yeah. obviously, feed, that that's again, that feeds in for the setting mm-hmm. of, the, of the final two-parter. But I mean, something else that's, what, what made me just think of that then was, was, was when you said, Morty, that, I remember it being a lot of single episodes or maybe the odd two-parter, mm. but you remembered that wrong because it all kind of links in here. And yeah, it I does, still, yeah. yeah, I still think of it as single episodes, maybe the odd two-parter, as you said. So perhaps I should mm. go back and watch from the beginning again and, and see how it all does tie in because obviously I know the bad wolf scenario keeps popping up all the way through, but mm-hmm. barring what we've watched for, for this podcast today, I've not gone back and watched masses of Eccleston. I've not gone back and watched masses of New Who full stop, really, apart from what we do for the show. So obviously there's certain things there that I don't remember, which would be mm. no surprise to anyone, of course. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's I think, okay, maybe that is, maybe I should just start episode one with Charlie then and go from there. Because those little tie-ins, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I don't, again, I still think of it as individual stories. So, as a, as, Sorry. I was just going to say thanks to you guys. You know, I, I went, I, I watched the Flux um, because I hadn't watched any of the new ones, and then I went back and uh, obviously I watched Torchwood when I was a bit all over the shop, and then I went back and started watching Christopher Eccleston. I got about three episodes in, and then because of you, um, in between the classic Who, I rewatched the whole Capaldi. So I've done it completely out of sync, and now right. I'm back to Christopher Eccleston <laughs> again. I'm now just gone on to David Tennant, and then maybe I'll watch Matt Smith. I, probably, I don't know that I'll do Jody again yet. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd encourage you to watch Matt Smith again because I started off not really high on Matt Smith. I didn't think mm. he was much cop in his first season. But now there are so many stories that I look at and, and they are just brilliant. Like, I've got a list somewhere on my phone that I can send you which just shows how many I've got that I wanted to pick in the first season. I, I, had, a, I had a long shortlist of about 13 yeah. to 14 episodes. Wow. Where I was like, I could pick that, I could pick that. Oh, but this was really good, but that was really good. And, and there's a couple that I'd regard as sort of like hidden gems. So yeah. I really would go for it. Yeah, like I said, you know, Capaldi may now be my favourite Doctor. He's, he's fantastic, isn't he? I honestly think, I yeah. think, because when I first watched it, he had everything that I liked as a doctor, but for me, I watched it in at the time. So for me, it was very jarring, even as someone that watched old, older episodes of Doctor Who. For me, it was very jarring, the, the full character turn, that they went very much from this young sort of peppy kind of style yeah. guy to, you know, he's very angry, he hates soldiers, and he's, you know, very insulting to people. And he was just a complete U-turn. That even threw me off as someone that liked mm-hmm. that. So for the younger viewers, I'm sure it did. I know it did, because, you know, reflected yeah. that. Um, and I always felt that his late last series was, you know, a completely different character. But when I went back and looked at it in isolation, the whole three series that he did, he's the best, because he's got elements of Eccleston, he's got elements of Hartnell, and they're my two favourite Doctors. Uh, <laughs> and so for me, I, I honestly think he's my favourite. I think he's up there. It might be recency bias, 
But I think he's uh, he's got to be up there in, in just everything that he does. He's just, yeah, he's brilliant. See, I'm really glad that you've done that. And I'm really glad you just ran through that for us, Morty, because one thing that we do on the show um, whenever we have a guest on is ask, who is your doctor and why? And I forgot to do it this week. So you bring it up yourself at the end of the show. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> he kind, he kind, I kind of answered it a little bit at the beginning because, you know, um, yeah. Eccleston was my first Doctor, really. And like I say I watched him and Hartnell at the same time and then some Tom Baker because of that. He was my um, my past favourite Doctor, um, was Tom Baker. Um, right. And I was familiar with Colin Baker, but didn't enjoy it, like the Vail Yard and stuff like that. Um but um, but no, I I I think literally, as I say, if you'd have asked me a month ago, I would have told you Eccleston without a doubt. And now, uh, you know, I'm teetering. You guys have re- reignited <laughs> oh, my uh, oh. my passion. Uh, we'll, we'll, have a, we'll have a lengthier discussion another day about uh, about mm. some Capaldi episodes. Because yes, yes, we need definitely. to. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to show you time heist. Time heist. So much okay. fun. Yeah. So then, this two-parter here, in summary, gentlemen, what are we thinking? Morty, you're the guest. You want to go first? I love it. It was as yeah. good as I remembered it being. Um, it, even though you could say there wasn't actually that much action, I suppose, it never felt like it. It didn't drag. It was so good because the dialogue was so quick as well, and all of the side characters were so interesting. Um, there was no sort of you know, character that you think, oh, he's a bit wimpy or that person's, you know, definitely going to get killed off in the next, you know, scene or whatever. Yeah. They were all really, you know, strong characters. Um, and like I say, really creepy elements. I just think it was, it was great. It probably is the best, that and Dark, because I really like Dalek. Um, I think it probably is the best mm-hmm. Christopher Eccleston story. And it, I know it's regarded as one of the best Doc- New Who episodes by a lot of people. And I, I agree. I think it's up there. Got to be. It is pant-shittingly fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Just just echoing everything Marty said, it's it's supremely well written for the most part. We've covered the few missteps in, you know, maybe a bit of sort of Rose's characters taking an odd direction in the way dialogue's written. Um, You know, the stuff with the barrage balloon you didn't like, etc., etc. But they feel like nitpicks. Oh yeah, totally. In, in, like, in like oh, the yeah. grander scheme of things, it this is if if you're gonna if I was gonna give it a numeric rating, it'd be eight, eight and a half, maybe a nine, depending on the day of the week. It is it is that good, and like I say, it's, it's the standout of this first season of Doctor Who's Return. It it really is. Like you got this Dalek. I really like the episode with Simon Pegg and the Jagrafest, but I think it's it's more because of what it sets up going into the finale. But also, this is this is really Very different crucial. tone, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. and this is completely crucial in how Doctor Who would play out right up to Jodie Whittaker, because this introduces Jack Arnes. This episode is so vital in terms of the wider law, in terms mm. of Jack becoming such a massive character to the point that he came back for two minutes in a Jodie Whittaker episode, and everybody freaked out. And then he had a bit of more of an extended role further down the line. And it was fantastic. So, yeah, brilliant. I just wish I didn't have to sleep with a light on after every time I watched it. <laughs> Great stuff. Um, I think the biggest compliment. Well, first of all, I want to you know completely go along with what you said. 
it is being nitpicky, the stuff with the dancing and the ropes. It, it is nitpicky because it is so bloody brilliant. But the ultimate thing I can say is that Charlie enjoyed it. So if Charlie enjoyed it... I was, was going to say, the most important thing is, I don't want to know what you think, Si. What did Charlie no. think? Charlie, Charlie said it was a bit weird, but she enjoyed it. It was creepy in places. Nothing, she said nothing really made her jump apart from when I poked her arm. Because there was a moment... <laughs> Could you grab her? Yeah, there was a creepy moment, and I just went like that to try and make a jump, and I, and I succeeded. So, <laughs> but no, she's she's keen to watch more. So I can't say anything more positive than that, really. No, absolutely brilliant. There we go. Do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you online, then Morty, my friend, and the show you're involved in, and all that sort of good stuff. Goodness me, yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at MortyJR5. Uh, you can also find me uh, on the Morty and Fitch show, which is a very arrogantly named um, <laughs> show of just two two nobodies talking about nothing, selling that well. Um, it's just it's just two two guys just talking absolute bollocks, um, and we often we often give Sai and Dan a mention, but it's not always that um, that uh, you know complimentary, really, is it? But it's all done in love. Um, <laughs> And uh, and you can find that show and and me live tweeting from Polish weddings and other such nonsense on Morty underscore Fitch underscore Pod on Twitter. Awesome stuff, mate. Awesome stuff. I noticed the episode notes on. I think it's the last episode of the being released. Says that you discuss Gloucester. I've not got round to listening to it yet, but that's going to be my bus ride home tomorrow. I we're think. Been, so I'm, I'm intrigued about Gloucester. Gloucester. Okay. <laughs> there's, Dan. Also, there's also some very bizarre heavy breathing. On that really? when, when of all people my brother's name was mentioned <laughs> <laughs> I, li- I listened to it, I listened to it today even, even though I edited it and I'm in it again arrogant on it I listened to it and it made me laugh the the, the heavy breathing over Cam because I'd forgotten we'd done that and there's, there's a bit where the bit where Fitch really goes like, <laughs> and it's such a strange noise <laughs> <laughs> oh man I, I've met your brother Dan he's, he's a good looking chap um, <laughs> but did you go <sighs> very very quiet <laughs> <laughs> not like Tom Baker no no no, no like, <laughs> it, was <more> like, <laughs> it, was, it was more like Hannibal Lecter yeah <laughs> uh, Dan do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you and the awesome shows you're involved in as well buddy yeah, you can find me at, uh, on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually talking about uh, movies that are 25 years out of date or wrestling that's six weeks out of date. I don't know why I've suddenly started doing that backwards. That's second recording. I've done that backwards now. But whatever. Um, you can hear me on Unbooking the Territory, uh, where we'll look at the first and last of uh, professional wrestling. Uh, we go down some pretty odd routes with that. It's not just like first episodes of shows or last episode of shows. We recently covered uh, the oldest um, surviving footage of a wrestling match from 1913. Uh, so go give that a listen because, honest to God, both men involved in that have movies, uh, have lives that are worthy of movies. It really is incredible. Uh, also, do Unbooking the Tankatory, which is a podcast about Tank Abbott because he's the hardest bastard to ever live. And looking at the life and times, trials and tribulations in WCW. And you can find both of those shows on Twitter at UTT Podcast and at UTT Tank, respectively. 
Awesome stuff, mate. Awesome stuff. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at SJP Words, but most importantly, you need to find the network because that is where you will hear the Doctor Who pod each week, as well as all the other shows that are that well, that's carried on the network. So Chain Wrestling, Nitro Nights, the NXT podcast is coming very soon. There's so many, I can't even list them anymore. And they're not all involving me, surprisingly enough. So <laughs> that you can find that on Facebook and Twitter at SJP World Media and pretty much everywhere that carries podcasts as well um also new merch out for all the pretty much all the shows go check it out on all all the twitter pages uh and the one you need to find for this one is at the doctor who pod on facebook and twitter that's at the d-r-w-h-o-p-o-d at the doctor who pod morty i've had a blast my friend it has been awesome thank you so so much for joining us thanks for having me i've very much enjoyed i love talking about stuff that um you know tv shows that i am passionate about and i love to, talking to like-minded people like yourselves about it and uh yeah much really enjoyed that thanks for having me on that's no, been an awesome. absolute blast mate. Awesome. yeah and uh, not the us and not the us side but next week uh, oh, we'll yeah. be looking oh, shit, at um, <laughs> uh, where's you see rob when you need him yeah exactly i'll, I'll next week off mate <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but next week is my final pick, and it's William Hartnell. Um, and seeing as we do sort of firsts and lasts uh, on UTT, I figured let's do a first for William Hartnell. So we're going to go back to where it all began, and we're going to watch An Unearthly Child. Oh, interesting. Now, what exactly are we watching? Because the entire four-part think- serial that was uh, also entitled uh, 100,000 BC. The entire, so that the entire is, first story. Yeah, so that's four episodes. Uh, the first four episodes, effectively. Right. Uh, okay. They're the first okay. William Hartnell ones because it was an order that I watched with my stepdad in 2005. So Amazing. when so I so I watched the the first episode of um, of Chris Freckleston, and then because it was the day I bought it, I I watched the second episode of Chris Freckleston, and then I watched William Hartnell. So that was my introduction to Doctor Who. So it was around wow. the same time. So, uh, oh, I can't wait to hear what you guys think of those. Yeah. So the episodes will be An Unearthly Child, The Cave of Skulls, The Forest of Fear, and The Firemaker. Right. Awesome stuff. I know I've seen An Unearthly Child. I think I've seen the others, but I'm not massively sure. But then I could have watched them 20 times and forgotten anyway, let's be honest. <laughs> but there we go. There we go. I'm looking forward to it. More once again, thank you so, so much, my friend. And Dan, it's been a blast talking to you as always, bud. Yep, champion mate, can't wait for the next one already. Always an absolute pleasure, and you can't bitch at me and Rob for going two and a half hours now. My no, fault. No, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I've had a great time. And as always, to everybody else, thank you for listening. Then beef farts are still going. Fantastic. (laughs) Creepy little shit. (laughs) Take your scarred hand and fuck off away from me, letterbox. (laughs) That's not a euphemism. He actually does put his hand through the letterbox in case anyone miss this show. Um... So yeah. I just in, side just intimating that I got fisted by a guy in a gas mask. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really why you're scared of them. That's why. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> no, no. We're getting to no, the bottom no. of it now. We're scraping no. back at back layers like an onion, and we're getting to the core of the issue. Phrasing, getting to the bottom of it. Anyway, that, <laughs> that might have got paid, so I was, I was fine with it. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, the doctor. Why do, why do I commit these things to audio? I don't know, mate. I don't know, because all this just gets cut and put on the end of the episode after the music finishes. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 20 minute episode hour and a half out six yeah hour and a half of Dan talking about getting fisted by a kid in a mask while the Loch Ness monster watched um, nom 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 You fucker. <laughs> oh, see, now this is a problem. Marty set Sai off. Sai going set me off. Oh, uh, it's too hot to be laughing this hard. Right, okay. Children. So where were we? <laughs> I, I believe Marty he's, said, I'm, he's I'm got his hand in his letterbox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lads, I've got work in the morning, you fuckers. Stop it. <laughs> So the kid's okay. back and he's a little bastard yes. and 